0: One more. Hi, I'm back. I'll be listening to to Discover the word Podcast. I'm, I'm listening to to the series Jacob and Jesus. And I'll be listening to part six. Find out how to, to, to avoid making the mistake of uh, a uh, missing a potential blessing. Have you ever ever misconstrued a conversation? It can it can happen when we when we hear only what what we want to hear. Discover how Jacob's family misinterpreted a God-given prediction, and and, and almost missed the the potential blessing. Learn how to 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 avoid making the the, the same mistake.
1: This week on Discover the Word, be part of the Bible study group for week two of our three-week look at the life of one of the Bible's key foundational characters. In the book of Genesis, we read about Jacob. What we're finding is that his life and his relationships actually raise a lot of questions, serious questions. So pull your chair up to the table with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder as they explore the life of a heel-grabbing, deceitful, selfish man of faith in God using God's plan of redemption. So how do you put the contrasting parts of that description together? That's what we'll discover this week on Discover the Word. Hi, I'm Brian Hedding, and it's great to have you as part of the Discover the Word group today. Discover the Word is the weekday small group Bible study from RBC Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And the group here on this end includes Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder. And if you'd like to learn more about them, I would encourage you to go to our discovertheword.org website. There's more information about them there, and if you click on the link to our Facebook page, you will see more info and photos and videos about the group. And of course, there's the audio of all our conversations at discovertheword.org. This week, as I said, is week two of our study of Jacob, and uh, God predicted a number of things would be true about Jacob before they happened. But as almost always seems to be true about the predictions we read in the Bible, the way that those predictions come true is not as simple and straightforward as you might think it would be. Uh, Mart and Elisa and Bill will focus on that aspect of the life of Jacob today. But where Mark begins the conversation is with another example of this prophecy-fulfillment twist from Greek history and legend. Mark? In the days before computers
2: and uh, software, the idea of an oracle meant something. <laughs> do you recall what
3: it meant? What it was? Kind of a soothsayer, that kind of a thing? And what do you like mean that? by a soothsayer? Somebody who you went to for the wisdom of the gods or something
2: like yeah. that.
3: Is that close? somebody who could channel yeah
2: like the, a fortune
4: teller yeah, like a fortune yeah, there you teller go. right
2: mm-hmm. well there's this ancient story about what was named the Delphic Oracle and apparently she was a priestess of the god Apollo that was what she was thought to be and she was supposed to at certain times in the day channel the wisdom of the god Apollo as the story goes the ancient Lydian king Croesus asked this priestess the Delphic Oracle if he should invade Persia and he got back a real ambiguous response the response was that if he did he would destroy a great kingdom so assuming that this meant that he would succeed he attacked but the kingdom that he destroyed was his own so it's a prediction and it's ambiguous enough that he misunderstood it Mm -hmm. and ended up losing something and it still came true. yeah it came true
4: that's so how we are is that we hear what we want to hear yeah And, and the reason i raise it is
2: i think we find some of those kinds of predictions in the bible and uh, the story that we're looking at,
3: the story of Jacob, includes one of those predictions from before his birth. Do you recall? Well, there was a prediction. Isaac, who was the son of Abram and Sarah, who had been given this promise that God would bless all the nations through their line. Isaac was married to a woman named Rebekah, and after 20 years, they had not yet had any children. And then she becomes pregnant, but she consents that something's not right, and so she prays about it. And God comes and says to her that she's got two nations, and they're already starting to war with each other.
4: In other words, she has two children. She's pregnant with twins. Mm. The prediction that's given her before the boys are born is that the younger will actually take the firstborn place ahead of the older one. And the older will serve the younger. And the older will serve the younger which goes contrary to the customs of the day, contrary
2: to all expectations. Okay, so what happens after that? We have them born, the two twins. So they're
4: born, exactly, and as they exit the womb, the um, older one is born first, and then the younger one, as he's born, grabs the heel of the older one. And, very interesting. The younger and by seconds. Just by yeah. seconds, just they're yeah. twins, exactly. But, but he's named by
3: that yeah. moment, but, by what happened. He's named Jacob the heel grabber. Because he grabbed the heel of the older brother. Named Esau. Named Esau as they were coming out one
2: by one. So they saw that, and so they named him Heel Grabber. So there are all kinds of questions about what that meant and what the intent was, but it seems to have been prophetic because you know what happened later on in life. As the two boys grew, as they came of age, Jacob did something
3: that sounds a whole lot like being a heel grabber, didn't he? Remember what that was? Yeah, Esau was coming back from a hunting trip, and it was his hunting that had made him Isaac's favorite because Isaac liked the meats that he would get. And he was coming back, and he was really tired and famished and weak from the long journey, and he came upon Jacob making a pot of soup. And Jacob takes advantage of Esau's moment of weakness to negotiate his birthright, that right that you were talking about, of the firstborn, to take for soup. It's crazy, isn't it? I'll give you a bowl of soup if you agree to give me your, your rights.
4: Do you think how hungry Esau must have been to settle for yeah. that.
3: But also think about, I mean, what was it that was the prediction? It was that the stronger mm-hmm. would serve the younger. It's the stronger in a moment of weakness that it gives brings us it away the to the younger. Yeah. yeah.
4: And then another time, later on at the death of their father, Jacob actually goes in and pretends to be Esau and receives his father's blessing as if he is the firstborn and steals
2: that Yeah, blessing. and there's so much to that story, isn't there, that uh, Rebecca hears that the father has said to his older son, Esau, my days are limited. I wish I'd go out and uh, kill something and, and make that bowl of soup that I love. And it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, Esau apparently loves soup. must have gotten that from his dad so anyway the dad says go out and kill some game make the stew that I love and I'll be
3: able to bless you and then Rebecca overhears that and what does she do? she becomes a co-conspirator with Jacob she comes to Jacob they kill an animal from the flock they make the soup but then because... Jacob's a softer man in a sense, and Esau's the rugged outdoorsman who's very hairy and so forth. They take part of the skin of the animal and cover his arms with it because Isaac's vision's going. Yeah, so he actually
4: impersonates, Jacob impersonates his brother. That takes a lot of effort. This is not like a a quick thing he thought of. And later on,
2: he goes to his father, and he claims to be Esau. Yeah, he's kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing taken literally. <laughs> literally dad. Yeah. Dad is very old. His eyesight is bad. And he says, you know, something's wrong here. He said, it sounds like the voice of Jacob, but Jacob's here and says, no, it's it's Esau. And then he goes ahead. And as you've indicated, he holds out his hands. His dad feels like it's the skin, the hands of Esau. Mm-hmm. But what is amazing as we read that story in Genesis chapter 27 is the bold ways in which Jacob impersonates Esau and then lies to his dad repeatedly This time, to get the blessing of his father.
4: premeditated Premeditated. deceit. And, And
2: Rebecca and Jacob are both working together to do this. Well, he pulls it off. Dad is confused. Dad is conceived. Isaac blesses Jacob, thinking that he's blessing Esau. And it works. A short time later, Esau comes back in. He's killed his game. He's made the soup. He says, here I am, Dad. And it says all of a sudden, Isaac began to tremble. He just, he literally, he physically shook. He said, who are you? And he tells Esau that he's just given the blessing away. Esau is beside himself. And uh, look once at what we read in Genesis chapter 27, verses
4: 35 through 38. Elisa, do you have Sure. Uh, but he said, meaning Isaac, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. And then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And Isaac answered him, I've made him lord over you, and have made all his relatives his servants, and I've sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? So the prophecy now is being fulfilled. What
3: God had told Rebecca is coming true. But how is it coming true? through deceit and manipulation and, lying. and lies.
4: How can this be? This yeah. doesn't sound like a Bible story. And, and Esau
2: gets it. I mean, and he's beside himself. And he says, this brother of mine is rightly named for he is, in fact, a heel grabber. He's a supplanter. Twice he's done this to me. First he takes my birthright,
3: and now he's taken my blessing. And really, in a sense, his name is heel grabber. This is the third time he's grabbed his heel. The that's first right. time coming out of the womb, mm-hmm. the second time with a bowl of soup, and the third time with another bowl of soup. Okay. Now here's the deal.
2: Is that what God wanted to happen? I mean, the Lord is the one who said to Rebecca, the younger
4: is going to take the place of the older. The older is going to serve. You raise the a good question, but the fact that he prophesied, does that mean he wanted it? Yes. And and we're all, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah.
2: Or if he wanted it, how did he want it to happen?
3: Yeah, that's I think yeah. that's the issue. Obviously, God wanted it or he wouldn't have prophesied that, but that didn't mean that it had to happen this way necessarily, right? Yeah, or if you take Elise's comment, was God just describing it?
2: It sort of seems like God was orchestrating this and he wanted it Mm -hmm. to eventually happen this way or he was going to work with it this way. But the question is, what do we make of Rebecca and Jacob conspiring among themselves? Some people think that they were doing this in faith, that because Rebecca knew that God had predicted that this was going to happen, And she was afraid now that Isaac was going to resist the prophecy and was going to, in his last days, his last moments, make sure that he blessed Esau. She stepped in in order to,
3: in faith,
2: Oh gosh she was trusting could be little, to, could she believed it she could have yeah. and
3: and getting into people's motives is always a pretty dodgy thing cuz yeah. uh, you know we don't know what's going on mm-hmm. in there but i got to tell you you're going to have to prove it to me that <laughs> they were doing this for good reasons cuz they seem like a bunch of rascals to me
2: but the point is and the new testament even Is critical of Esau for having a lack of spirituality, a lack of family responsibility. See, it's one of those issues, and people come at this from both sides. Some will say, okay, yeah, they shouldn't have lied, but they were trying to act in faith. Rebecca and Jacob saw what they believed God wanted, and so they were just
4: being shrewd. They were just finding their own way to make it happen. But either way you look at it, it's kind of a slimy approach to joining God in his work, and God still uses it. That's the point. I think when it comes to their motives,
2: God only knows. God only knows what was in their hearts. God only knows the extent to which Rebecca and Jacob had any mind at all to try to help the prophecy be fulfilled, even if they were making mistakes in the process. God only knows really the heart of Esau, but I think this says something wonderful for all of us. God's purposes, his plans. I mean, in the big story here, we have to remember all of this about the chosen family. All of it was about bringing a family into the world, choosing them through which the promised Messiah, the savior, the hope of the world would one day come. This is all part of that story. And what it reminds us, I think, is that God's eventual rescue, his mercy, all that he's doing for us, does not ultimately depend upon our goodness or our motives. Rather, it depends on his mercy, on his compassion, his willingness to work in and through our weakness, even if we're being rascals in the process.
1: thankful we should be that God still chooses to use us, uh, despite our flaws and failings. This is Discover the Word. You're here with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder. Interesting conversation today as we continue our series on the life of Jacob and how he is part of the bigger story the Bible is telling. And it's true, isn't it? When we look at all the predictions in the Bible and the way they work out, the way they are fulfilled always reflects God's mercy rather than our goodness and our understanding. See that with Jacob, and Isaac, and Rebecca, and Esau, and really everyone in this story. All right, well, tomorrow, Bart and Elisa, and Bill will pick up where we left off in our study of Jacob, and let me just say that if you're part of a family, and everyone is, you know that families can quarrel. Sometimes it's fairly minor, but at other times, it's devastating. In the case of Jacob and Esau, their conflict produced a long-lasting family feud, Can God work in a situation with that much conflict? Listen Tuesday and we'll discover the word. Discover the word is provided by RBC Ministries, the publishers of the Our Daily Bread devotional.
0: Okay, that's all. Hi, I'm back. I'll be listening to Parts seven of discover the word discover the word podcast and I, i'm listening to jacob and jesus jacob and and jesus part seven part seven find out how god uses flawed families D- does your family fight and beggar bicker perhaps there or a or a few skeletons in your family's closet don't worry, you are not alone. Let's reveal the, the, the decades-old feud that, that took place in Jacob's family and how and how God's mercy showed up in the midst of, of domestic conflict.
1: Do you have a part of your family where the relationships are, well, strained? Something was said, something was not said, money was borrowed and not paid back kids are at odds. And there are lots of reasons why families don't get along. So many things build up over time. Who is right and who is wrong gets blurred. Things don't get resolved. And before you know it, you haven't spoken to your sister or your brother or someone from that side of the family for years. Today on Discover the Word, discover with the group how the story of Jacob in the Bible turns out to be the beginning. One of the longest of all family feuds that, even from the start, had no innocent party. Discover the Word with us. And it is great to have you here at the table with us for our Tuesday time together this week, Studying the Bible on Discover the Word. And right now, the group is about the midpoint of our three-week look at the life of one of the Bible's key characters, Jacob. And as we're finding, his was far from a perfectly lived life. And the imperfect family dynamics are a big part of understanding his life. Now, we've said many times before here on the program that it's important to remember that the Bible is, bottom line, a book about God. And so I think it's been helpful the way Mark DeHaan has led these discussions with Lisa Morgan and Bill Crowder, because while we're studying the life of Jacob, as recorded in the book of Genesis, we are really learning more about God and his plan and how he was and still is at work in the lives of imperfect people. And so, a family feud, that's the aspect of Jacob's story that we want to focus on today. And that's something we can all identify with, can't we? And so Mark and Elise and Bill Uh-oh. begin today talking about probably the most famous family feud in the history of the U.S., Alisa, I've
2: got a hunch that if we were to talk about the Hatfield and the McCoys, that somebody at our table would know something about it.
4: Well, it's not going to be me. Not you? (laughs) I mean, I've heard of it.
2: Well, there's somebody here at the table who's come from West Virginia. Bill, this is kind of
3: familiar territory, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's very familiar territory, not only because I grew up in West Virginia, but for several years of my life, I worked as a surveyor in a civil engineering department doing pipeline surveys and well surveys in the very area, southwest West Virginia, where a lot of the events of the Hatfields and McCoys took place. Okay, tell us something about it. Now, Elisa, you know something
2: about it, right?
4: Well, I know there were two families that feuded. Yeah. over forever years. Yeah, forever. It just yeah. went on just and on Just a on ridiculous,
2: on. long feud. Did you by any chance see that uh, miniseries on
3: television a couple of years ago? No. I watched it. It was the bloodiest thing I've ever seen. Oh, goodness. And that's the way the feud was. But I, I have mean, no idea was, what caused the feud. Yeah, what caused the feud was a series of small disagreements that, as it's portrayed in the miniseries, mm-hmm. were egged along. Oh by an uncle in Devil Anse Hatfield's family. He was kind of the thorn in the side of these two families, and he kept pushing both sides deeper and deeper into the conflict. But like many of these kind of feuds, years later, if you had asked some of the Hatfields and the McCoys, what was that feud all about, they couldn't tell you. But Devil Anse Hatfield was the patriarch of the West Virginia side of this, and then across the river in eastern Kentucky was Randall McCoy who in their younger years had been the closest of friends. Isn't that the way? They had been such close friends. They had come back from the war, and uh, actually Hatfield had left because he was just so burned out and disillusioned, and McCoy resented that that he had abandoned the cause of the South. And that may have been kind of an early rumbling in the relationship. This was a family that had intermarried between these two families. And, they were uh, family,
4: not just friends. Yeah, yeah and family.
3: and these were family people. And, of course, what's so ironic is, as you said, Mark, one of the bloodiest episodes really in the history of our country at this level. Well, there's something like that in the Bible. And, and we've been talking about Jacob and Esau.
2: It's interesting that uh, God calls a family. He calls Abram. Eventually, Abram has Ishmael, his first son by Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid. And then he has a son by Sarah, who yeah. is Isaac. Isaac becomes the son of promise. And Isaac and his wife, Rebekah eventually have two sons, Jacob and Esau. Well, Isaac and Ishmael had the beginning of a feud going. I mean, that's lasted throughout history in many ways. Mm -hmm. And then when Isaac has two sons, they end up Mm -hmm. in family conflict that just goes on and on and on. We talked in our last conversation about how the conflict began between Jacob and Esau. And we saw that on two different distinct occasions, Jacob had taken advantage of Esau first time, maybe we could blame Esau and say, you know, he wasn't very smart. He gave away his birthright. He gave away his family inheritance. His responsibility is the older brother in a moment of weakness. But as we know, Jacob was right there. He was ready to grab it. And then later on, Jacob does something along with his mother, Rebecca, that's even more obvious and more intentionally deceitful. They impersonate Esau. They lie boldly to the father to the point of being able to get Isaac, an aged, blind father, to the point where he's blessing Jacob the wrong the family. son yeah the wrong son <laughs> yeah. anyway this whole thing Jacob's pattern of deceit ends up making Esau furious and I'd like to pick up the story today in Genesis chapter 27 verse 41 Bill do you have it there in front of you Could
3: yeah, you just read sure, verses 41 through 45 sure Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him he said to himself the days of mourning for my father are near then I will kill my brother Jacob When Rebekah was told what her older son had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day?
2: it's really a pathetic outcome isn't it and in our last conversation we tried to look at this from a couple of different sides we talked about the fact that rebecca knew while she was still pregnant with these twins that god's intent was that the younger would one day rule over the older son so she knew that and so the question was when it came time to make sure that isaac blessed the younger son rather than the older was Rebecca and Jacob within their God-honoring trust in order to try to orchestrate this thing to make sure that Jacob got the blessing. And we, we talked about it. you. You can look at this two ways, God only knows. But what we know from reading the story, picking it up at this point, is there were consequences. There were consequences to
3: what Rebecca and Jacob did. Every action produces a reaction. Every deed produces a response, and so what we do does have consequences, and with Esau, he feels very much as if injustice has occurred to him. And just in the same way that Rebecca felt like she had to do some things to make the prophecy come true, it's almost as if Esau's saying, I'm going to make sure justice comes true. Yeah. I'm going to take it in my own hands. Right.
4: I'm struck, though, that Rebecca feels like Jacob has to leave, because the prophecy says that the younger will take the place of the older and the older will serve the younger it's come true in terms of jacob got the birthright jacob got the blessing why is she doing this what's your guess well my guess is she feels bad and my guess is that she helped fulfill the prophecy by her actions that's if she was thinking that and now esau's ticked and she's like "Ooh, i don't want anything bad to happen and she's still stepping into the gap thinking i've got to help god out here i've got to make this all work out i think that's a pretty reasonable take
2: so even if we try to put sort of a good spin on what jacob and rebecca did together what we know for sure is that from esau's point of view jacob wronged him he took advantage of him in a moment of weakness and then later he just boldly lied impersonated him he boldly lied to the father isaac claiming to be esau in order to get the family blessing so esau was absolutely furious he felt that he had been wronged mom's responses Jacob, you gotta leave here.
3: Let's let your brother cool off. When he's cooled off, you can come back home. What I find really interesting, Mart, is you know we don't know what was in her heart. We hear her words. She says the last statement of verse forty-five, speaking of Isaac and Jacob, why should I lose both of you in one day? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet, by sending Jacob away, that's what she was doing. Exactly. She was losing him exactly. for the rest of her life. Yeah, she did keep Esau. Yeah,
2: you know, Esau stayed with them. But yeah, she lost Jacob her favorite son. I think what's important in this conversation is just to say there are consequences. We admitted we don't really know what their motives were, what Rebecca's motives were, or what her heart was. God only knows all of that. But we do know that by impersonating, by deceiving, by, by defrauding, taking control. by taking mm-hmm. control, by taking things into
3: your own hand, mm-hmm. there were and there are human consequences to that kind of thing. And these human consequences stretch forth for generations and generations and generations. Yeah, some of these things, like the Hatfields McCoys, they never seem to go away. They right. just keep fighting the old wars, even when you've forgotten what they were for.
4: Right. And don't we all know in our own generation how true that is? You know, the choices of our fathers and our mothers directly yeah. impacted our upbringing and our choices. You know, my father's choice to leave my mom and, and divorce her and, and create a new family. That's affected me and you as well and everyone in with us in this discussion today. Each of us has a personal history like that. They came from choices. Yeah. And
2: what we see in this story, we know that God stayed in the picture. Even when Jacob and Esau and Rebecca and Isaac do foolish things, mm-hmm. God stays in the picture. And the big story is he's simply using this very flawed family as a part of his means
3: to bring an ultimate solution to them and to the whole world. Somebody could ask the question, well, if God wanted to have this plan to bless the world, why didn't he pick a a non-flawed family? And the answer is because there weren't (laughs) any. That's (laughs) right. No matter what family he chose, it would have been a flawed family. That's right. The family of uh, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob merely
2: showcased the flawed character of the whole world. As do the families of Mart and Bill. That's right. And Elisa. Absolutely. But if we see then the consequences of deceitful choices, if that becomes very clear to us, it's also important that we remember where this big story is going. Again, God so mercifully works with and stays present with such flawed people to the point that he himself bears consequences, bears more consequences than the world could ever imagine when his son becomes the hero, the champion, the rescuer, the savior of all humanity. When he bears the sins of everyone he takes the consequences of all of our bad choices in order to bring us the mercy and the forgiveness that we desperately need my thought is i don't know about you but if that's the kind of god who's willing to stay with us in our weakness be present even when we're making foolish choices in order to bring us ultimately to himself as he himself bears the consequences of our ways isn't that the kind of god we can trust today
1: Say, yes, that is a God worth trusting, wouldn't you? Sitting around the table with you right now, Mart Dion, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder, and I'm Brian Hedinger. And Mart is leading us through a helpful look at the life of Jacob right now and the foundational part he played in the story of redemption that God is telling through history. Well, thanks for joining us around the table today for Discover the Word. And hey, have you seen our new online devotional yet? It's called Our Daily Journey. And it's located at OurDailyJourney.org. Now check it out on your computer or your phone or your tablet-type device. And I think you'll find encouragement for your daily walk with the Lord. It really is an online community that interacts around the articles and inspiring stories. It was found at OurDailyJourney.org. Well, let's make plans right now to meet back here again tomorrow as we uncover more insight from the life of Jacob. From what we know about Jacob so far, he doesn't really seem to be the kind of person that God would choose for an important role in working on his plan. And yet God does show up in his life in a rather unusual way, how a dream about a ladder is a key part of Jacob's story. Part of that conversation Wednesday here on Discover the Word. Discover the Word is provided by RBC Ministries. The publishers of the Our Daily Bread devotional.
0: Okay, that's all. Okay, I'm back. I'll be listening to part eight of 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 Jacob and Jesus, Jacob and Jesus, on on Discover the Word podcast, part eight. Part eight. Let's take a closer look at Jacob's life, transforming vision, exhausted from, 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 from running from his lies and deceit, Jacob finally fell asleep. And the, and the dream God gave him, gave him, gave him turned his entire life around. Have you had a moment that changed your life?
1: Today on Discover the Word, be part of the group as we talk about the incident referred to in an old spiritual about Jacob's Ladder. We are climbing Jacob's Ladder. We are climbing Yeah, ever heard that song before? I remember singing it as a kid in Sunday school. We are climbing Jacob's Ladder today on Discover the Word. Mark DeHaan, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder explore that story in the Bible and ask some questions that weren't really raised in my Sunday school experience. I think you'll find the conversation encouraging and faith-building as we talk about Jacob's Ladder on today's Discover the Word. great to have you here with us on this Wednesday as the Discover the Word group continues their look at the life of the Old Testament man, Jacob. A lot of twists and turns of faith and non-faith in his story. And this is turning out to be an honest look at a lot of the questions that trouble us about life and about what we read in the Bible. Marty Hahn is leading these conversations with Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder. We're glad to have you here at the table as well. And remember that if you've missed any conversations in this series on Jacob... You can go to our discovertheword.org website and catch up. Or you can re-listen or refer a friend to be part of our study at discovertheword.org. So, Jacob's Ladder, do you know what that's referring to? We've got our Bibles open to Genesis chapter 28, and we will pick up the story there. But speaking of questions, a big factor in Jacob's life is this dream about what the song calls Jacob's Ladder. So what about dreams? You put much stock in dreams? interesting discussion about that as Mark and Elisa and Bill begin today's conversation. When it comes to the subject of dreams, we have a lot of different opinions, don't we?
2: Yeah. Have you ever known someone who had a dream and they took it seriously
3: and they really believed that God was speaking to them through the dream? I haven't known someone, but it seems like in the last handful of years, especially in the Middle East, there's been a significant number of people who are coming to Christ and they're saying it's a result of a dream that they yeah. had in which they saw Jesus. Yeah. So what do you do with that? I mean, yeah. the, you have these profound declarations of faith, but it's rooted in a dream. Yeah.
4: And I have to confess that there have been times in my life where I've had a dream, and I have felt God confirming words from scripture in my life, and I can't explain it. Yeah. I'm blown away and awed and humbled but I don't want to dismiss it just because I might not totally understand it or be comfortable with it. I don't think we can. And, you know, we've just got too many
2: examples in Scripture of God using dreams, of revealing himself through dreams. The letter to the Hebrews says, God in so many different ways has revealed himself in time past. Well, one of the ways he did it was through visions and dreams. And so today, I think, like in the case, Bill, that you described, I think many of these people, when they hear the story of Christ, make the connection, that's the man that I dreamed about. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like God is using that. And
4: I would think that in your case, you said it was a
2: confirming kind of. Mm
4: -hmm. I actually was in my dream falling off of a cliff, and I saw these looked like rocks I was going to fall into. And at the last second, my body hit this flesh-colored surface, and I realized I was falling into God's hands. And I heard in my dream, I am your heavenly Father. I will never leave you or forsake you. And coming from a fatherless upbringing, this was a, a dream that happened shortly after I gave my life to God. And it was a confirming dream that he had me, that he was real, that I had trusted in him, and he would be faithful. Yeah, that's beautiful, I think. It was amazing. Yeah. It shapes my life still today. I can see why.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, we're talking about it because in the uh, in the story of Jacob, there's this amazing moment of a dream. Children still sing about it today. But anyway, let's take a look at it. Maybe we better set the story first. Jacob seems to have been a born liar. I mean, at least by name. he's When he's born, he's seen grabbing the heel of his slightly older twin, and he's named a heel grabber, a supplanter. Later on, he, uh, he takes advantage of his brother. Then he lies to his father, and he actually defrauds his older brother of a family blessing and a family inheritance. So it, it just all seems to be coming to pass. He, he seems to be a man who has been born to lie. In fact, He so enrages his older brother, that he literally has to leave home to avoid being killed by him. Well, let's pick up the story here. He gets out on the road, he's leaving home. He's actually at this point leaving home with his mother's advice and counsel and with his father's blessing. They just say, okay, Jacob, it's time to go. But he's out there by himself, he's on the road. He knows what he's done. He knows why he has to leave. Possibly two or three days down the road, the sun goes down, he's tired from the journey. He lays down, he finds a rock, and he uses the rock as a pillow. And in the middle of that night, he has the most amazing dream that we still talk about. Elisa, do you have it in front of you there? I do. If we could pick up the section from Genesis chapter 28 and read from verses, why don't you read from verses 10 through 17.
4: Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he had reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. To the north and to the south all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring i am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and i will bring you back to this land i will not leave you until i have done what i have promised you when jacob awoke from his sleep he thought surely the lord is in this place and i was not aware of it he was afraid and said how awesome is this place there is none other than the house of god this is the gate of heaven
3: How could that be? It feels wrong. It does. It just feels wrong. wrong. This guy's a scoundrel, and now God's kind of putting his stamp of approval on a scoundrel, and and it just feels wrong. He goes out
2: having lied, deceived, defrauded and he has a dream and God blesses him. How can God bless a person like this that has become like a curse even to his own
4: family? But we don't get to pick. We don't get to pick who God uses. And it's... Um, I but mean, we I should I, get to
3: pick. I know we should.
4: But, you know, I'm just reading these words and I guess maybe because I was the one reading them out loud, they really hit me. And, and how can you deny that this is God? I mean, if we say it seems wrong, we're saying God's wrong. I mean, maybe we don't understand it, but my goodness, this is what he did. This is what he said.
3: Yeah, and I believe everything you just said, and it still feels wrong. <laughs> and, and I know, mm. theologically, you know, we dare use that word. Mm. I know that theologically, this story is running on two tracks at the same time. It's running on a human track, which is the track we feel closest to. And it's also running on a divine track, which we don't have a clue about yeah. most yeah. of the time.
4: Yeah. As is God's yeah. story in us. So, another. so let's
2: try to put it on the tracks so that we can't understand. Mm-hmm. Bill, try to imagine Esau. What if after having this dream, Jacob had somehow gotten word home about what had happened to him on the road. Mm -hmm. What if he sent back word about this dream that he's gotten and of a God who has promised to bless him Mm -hmm. and to protect and provide for him on the whole journey, on the road ahead, and bring him back safely home. And that through him, he was going to actually end up blessing the whole world, all the families of the world. If you were Esau and you heard that,
3: what would you think? Out of all the people in the world, you pick him. Yeah. I mean, he seems to be the most undeserving, the most unlikely, and from Esau's point of view, probably the most wretched person he knew. Yeah, if you were Esau, would you want to believe in that kind of a guide? No, and my first inclination might be to say, well, you might bring him back here safe, but he's not going to be safe for long. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to take care of that. That's good, Phil. That's
2: good. And Elisa, if you were Rebecca and you got back word that this had happened, how would you feel?
3: Oh, I'd be like,
4: yay. I was right all along, and look how I helped God out, and he's so lucky to have me on his team.
3: And there's a little bit of a parallel up here in the story of Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's favorite. And he was the one receiving the special gifts, and he was the one who had most favored status in the family, and the brothers resented for it. And then Joseph gets dreams that show, oh great, now he's God's favorite too. What are we supposed to do now? Yeah. You know, how can we ever have a chance? He's dad's favorite, he's God's favorite. We lose. So it raises questions.
2: What I find is so interesting is if we go forward many hundreds of years to the New Testament, to the day that the son of Eve who was promised to be the deliverer we now look back we know that when Jesus came he fulfilled God's promise to Satan that one day a son a descendant of the woman was going to crush the head of the snake even though he himself would take a bruise to the heel when Jesus comes and his public ministry is just beginning there's a conversation in John chapter 1 that believe it or not links back to
3: Jacob's dream do you remember that story Yeah, um, it's a story where he encounters a man named Nathaniel. Yes. And he meets him ostensibly for the first time and he says behold an israelite and of course jacob's name was changed to israel so it's a son of israel in whom there is no treachery which sounds impossible at yeah, this whom, point in jacob's whom, story in whom there is no guile what was yeah. interesting i think it was philip wasn't it who brought nathaniel he
2: said i've got someone i want you to meet yeah. the messiah yeah. and he says it's the rabbi from nazareth yeah. and nathaniel's response is can anything good come out of nazareth and i think it's kind of to that that jesus is saying behold an israelite in whom there's no guile here's some who tells it like it is, he speaks the truth. He's not a deceiver. Like his great, 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 great grandfather. Exactly. (laughs) And and then Jesus kind of teases him a little bit more and he talks about having seen Nathaniel while he was yet under a tree and this would have been in the instant that Philip was finding him. And Nathaniel was just blown away. How because you know? Jesus wasn't there. Jesus wasn't was there. His How foresight. could you know? And Nathanael's at a point where he says, you are the Son of God. You are the promised Messiah. And then Jesus says something absolutely amazing. He said, you're amazed by this. I tell you, in the days ahead, you will see. And then he makes a reference to what commentators say is Jacob's Ladder. He said, you'll see the day in which you'll see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man.
3: So was that a reference to? was Jesus. Yeah. So, so Jesus is the ladder. Jesus, yeah. So
4: the dream where Jacob saw this happening, Jesus knows about, and he's actually addressing it. Yes, and he's referencing actually claiming it. to be the staircase mm-hmm. and Claiming, to, the ladder. To, he's claiming actually to be the fulfillment of to the be dream. the fulfillment.
2: Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. The fulfillment, which means what? what? What blows me away is Jesus claims to be the ladder, that bringing heaven to earth for who? What would you say? Well, I
4: think looking at this story, um, the access Jesus provides is for every one of us around this table, but it's also for people like Jacob, people like Rebecca, and Esau, and Isaac, you know, each one of us, no matter how we participated or over-participated in his story.
1: Yeah, we're really not all that different from Jacob, are we? Each one of us needs the grace and forgiveness and mercy of God. This is Discover the Word with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder. And, you know, the more we study the life of Jacob, the more I'm amazed at the goodness of God. Now, Jacob has shown himself to be a liar and a cheat. Uh, He's got issues. But as the team talked about today, in his great love, God brings heaven down to earth for this man. And it wasn't because Jacob was all that special. Rather, it's because God is amazingly good. In the same way God loved Jacob, with all his flaws and failures... Is the same way God continues to love us. All right, well, I'm Brian Heddinger inviting you back tomorrow when Mart and Elisa and Bill will discuss whether it's possible to bargain with God. Does God respond to a help me in this situation and I'll follow you kind of prayer? Is it possible that a bargain with God could be a first tiny step of faith? We'll talk about that Thursday here on Discover the Word. See you then. Discover the Word is provided by RBC Ministries, the publishers of the Our Daily Bread devotional.
0: That's all. Hi, I'm back. I'll be listening to part nine of, part nine of, of of the series, Jacob and Jesus of the Discover the Word podcast, part nine
1: Have you ever tried to strike a bargain with God? Like, uh, God, if you'll just, then I will, yeah, bargaining with God. That's what we're going to talk about today on Discover the Word. It comes right down to it. Is it a selfish way of trying to manipulate God, as preposterous as that sounds? Or is it possible that sometimes it could be a baby step of faith toward God that he actually honors? Let's have a conversation where we think through bargaining with God as we continue our study of the life of the Old Testament man who seems to have tried to make a deal with God, Jacob. Next, on Discover the Word. And it is good to have you here at the table with us as the Discover the Word Bible study group gets together again today. Waiting for okay,
0: to- part nine, discover how a self-centered prayer can turn into a step of faith caught, With, with, no way out, many people have tried to bargain with God. Lord, if you, if you, if you help me right now, I will, I will turn my my life around. But does, but does God ever, ever answer, ever answer those types of prayers? Let, Let, let's, let's discuss, let's discuss jacob's navigation with god
1: For you in their regular spots are martian who's leading this study of the life of jacob along with elisa morgan and bill crocker and today they're going to address this issue of bargaining with god is it a self-centered thing that is in reality about as ridiculous as anything could be or is it possible that it could be a baby step of faith that god actually may be involved in is it always one or the other, or does it maybe depend? Another intriguing conversation in this series about a foundational character in the story of the Bible, Jacob. We are just past the halfway point in this three week series. And so remember, if there are any days that you miss, you can always catch up on our discovertheword.org website. There are actually quite a few ways the website can enhance your study with us. There are a lot of resources available through RBC Ministries, in addition to the audio of all these conversations. You can either stream or download at discovertheword.org. There's also a link to our Facebook page there as well. I encourage you to like us and join the growing number of group members who keep up with us via Facebook. Okay, so Jacob and bargaining with God is what
3: today's Discover the Word is about. Mark? What are your thoughts about making bargains with God? When I think of a bargain with God, I think of the world of the battlefield, the foxhole prayer, or if you let me live, if I get through this, I'll do that. I think in those kind of terms of people so caught up in the moment that all they can see is the
4: moment. And I guess I think it's almost like silly. I mean, why are you going to bargain with God, really? It feels kind of frivolous to me. What about the people who
2: are not people of faith Mm -hmm. and they really have honest doubts? about whether or not there is a God, whether or not God cares for them, whether they can trust him. And so they say in a moment of what? Honesty? Desperation, doubt, yeah. fear, desperation, fear. Yeah. God, if you'll do this for me. If you'll if somehow show up, I'll follow you.
4: You could call that a bargain or you could call that a baby step. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people make bargains with God with the idea of trying to twist God in that moment, Should like take his arm God. in that moment mm-hmm. and say, if you do this
3: for me, then I will follow you for the rest of my life. And the implication of that is that us doing whatever we promise to do is so important to God that, of course, he's going to drop his entire yeah. eternal agenda to slip in this one thing we're asking yeah. for, whatever it might be. Again, there is not just a self-serving nature to it, but there's a very self-centered nature. Nature to it of boy, I'm so important. God's going to drop yeah. everything to do this. Yeah, the other side, I think, Elisa, didn't you talk about it? Didn't you mention
2: a baby step?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's a step toward God, you know. If God, if you do, then I will, you know, it's a baby step, isn't it? Closer toward God than a, a way, just okay. I'm going to sit here in my agnosticism, or I'm going to sit here in my atheism, or I'm going to sit here in my all about meism. I'm even connecting with God to begin to negotiate a bargain. It may be preposterous, but it's a baby step toward God, a baby step toward believing he's really there. He's listening. He cares. He's involved.
2: I'm guessing that if everyone who is listening to our conversation right now here at the table with us could tell their personal story, I'll bet there would be any number of us who could recall a time in our life when we really were searching, we didn't know what to do, and we made some kind of a prayer. It was like God, if you'll show me, if you'll come through in this situation, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. My own grandfather, who actually started, you know, this ministry, was a medical doctor, and one point in his young professional life, he contracted a, it was a very bad blood infection from one of from treating one of his patients. He ended up in the hospital, thought he might die, and from that hospital bed, he made that kind of a statement. He says, God, if you get me out of this bed, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. I'm sure that later on he wouldn't say he necessarily was faithful to keep all of that but he did get better and within a short period of time he and his wife had sold their medical practice he went to seminary and that was the beginning It turned
4: the direction of his life
2: and i think a lot of people really do sense that god is gracious enough and merciful enough to bend down to our request so he's not beholden to us he's not obligated to come through we can't control him but sometimes he does and I, i think in the story of jacob we see a moment in jacob's life when We at least have to ask the question, was Jacob bargaining with God? What was happening in this situation? Let's just net out where we've come up to this point. We've seen that Jacob is a part of the chosen family. His uh, grandfather Abraham, his father Isaac, and then Jacob end up being chosen by God to be a part of a family nation that ultimately they don't know what's going to happen. But from our perspective, we can see God use them to bring his Messiah into the world. But uh, as a young man, even though he was a grandson of abraham jacob i think you'd agree he was not the kind of of young man that you would want your kids bringing home for the weekend he was a liar he was a deceiver he was like a curse to his own family in fact he made his twin brother so angry that jacob had to leave home to avoid being killed by his twin brother we've already seen that a couple of nights into his journey jacob was laying he went to sleep under an open sky under the stars above And he had this amazing dream. And he sensed it was really happening. When he woke up, he believed he'd been in the presence of God. This guy had promised him that he would be with him and that he would take care of him and that he would provide for him and he would protect him going forward. And then he even told him that he was going to bless the whole world, all the families of the earth through Jacob. That was part of being this chosen family. Well, something happened at the end of that night when Jacob woke up. As I said, he really felt that he'd been in the presence of God. And so here's where the question comes in, was Jacob bargaining with God? Bill, do you have it there? Do you have Genesis chapter 28, verses
3: 18 through 22? You bet. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth.
2: Now the question
3: is, how are we to read
2: this? There's two different possibilities out there.
3: Well, it seems like the key words are if and then. The two key words are if and then. If God does this, then I do that. And so that's where the apparent bargain seems to be taking place. I think if you're going to read it one of two different ways, those two words become really big in there. But I think one of the ways that you can look at it, if you want to put a really positive face on it, is unless I know you're with me, then I can't get it done. I have to know that you're with me. I have to know that you're going with me or else I'm sunk. I don't have a chance. Hmm. So if you show me you're with me, then I'll try to be with you. Is that kind of close to what you're thinking? That's
4: one of the possibilities. And the other one is, you better show me that you are with me, or I'm not going anywhere.
2: Yeah, (laughs) the the question is, at this point, Jacob is running from home to avoid being killed by the brother that he's deceived, that he's defrauded of the family inheritance and blessing, okay? He's running for his life. He's going, his mother has encouraged him to go 500 miles to the north to spend some quiet time with her family up there. Is he a man of faith at
4: this point? Is Jacob a man of faith? We've seen a pretty snarly guy. We've seen somebody who's kind of snarky, you know, who's just disobeying, who's deceitful, who's manipulating. That's what we've seen.
3: And I think at some point, we have to recognize that all of us mm-hmm. who, in our best moments, want to be people of faith, in our worst moments, look a lot like Jacob. Yeah. So my guess is maybe so
4: could be. I mean, definitely he has a heritage. And many of us who have a heritage have a season we come to where we decide who are we really going to be. You know, are we going to believe or not? And this is our own, if you will, come to Jesus moment. What do you think is happening here? I think he's growing up and deciding for himself if he's going to trust in God or not. And what is he saying? Is he saying
2: that he's ready to do that? Or is he saying that he's going to wait and see? I see he's taking going to a baby that. step towards it. <laughs> and, and what is the baby step? Just being open to the possibility that if God takes
3: care of him, he will make God his God? I think maybe. Yeah. Well, and yeah. think about the setting for this. He has spent his entire life kind of behind his mother's apron, if I can use that expression, being protected, being cared for, being nurtured, being promoted. Mm-hmm. And now where is he? He's out in the wilderness by himself he's got nothing else to turn to but God God has in a sense isolated Jacob
4: and as we looked at in a previous broadcast really mama sent him out here too so in a way she cut the apron strings yeah, and said right. you're gonna have to figure this out Good. I don't want you to but you're going right. to.
2: so the question then is you know is he bargaining with God I think we have to say only God knows because mm-hmm. one possibility is he's just had this dream he's heard God promise that he's going to be with him for the road ahead to provide for him take care of him protect him bring him back to his father's house safely he's just heard that he's he's in awe of it he feels like he's in the presence of god he, he wakes up and he says i'm at the very gate of heaven i'm in the house of god then he says these words now he's either saying well if god is going to do all of this for me if god will provide for me if, if this is the kind of god then he will be my god the other possibility is he's taking a wait and see approach
4: i don't think we know But you know what else is so obvious here? He's he's asking for the minimal, the bare minimal. Is God with me? Is he watching over me? Is he giving me food and clothes? This is the bare minimum.
2: But he's just had this vision, yeah, and he's heard God, and he's sensed it's real. He's in awe. I'm just saying it's a baby step. It's a baby step, (laughs) and I think that's good because we don't know. Only God knows at this point really what was happening in Jacob's heart, but what we know from the big story
3: is that God was graciously revealing himself to a man that we would say didn't deserve it. I think for me, Jacob's one of my least favorite Bible characters, which is one of the reasons I was really excited about this study, because I like to learn about the stuff that I try to avoid. But as I'm hearing this conversation and seeing the story kind of unspool here, I'm reminded of the baby step kind of quote that I heard from a monk one time that said, Lord, I don't always know what you want me to do, but I think the fact that I want to please you pleases you. The journey of faith starts somewhere, and it doesn't start with a leap. It starts with a baby step. Maybe this is Jacob's baby step.
1: And even though they are small, baby steps take us closer. They move us in the right direction. So a good question. Are you for a faithful God today? Around the table with you for today's discussion, Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder. Man, this is Discover. Word. You
0: know,
1: it's possible that this series on Jacob has captured your interest, and maybe the study you're looking to broaden your knowledge of God's Word in a more formal sense. Well, I would encourage you to visit ChristianCourses.com. ChristianCourses.com is an online Bible education program that features classes taught by trusted scholars on a variety of subjects. And one of the classes on christiancourses.com is called Genesis Through Leviticus, God Builds a People for Himself. It would be a perfect complement to what we've been learning this week. And many of these in-depth courses are available to you at no cost or obligation. You actually have a lot of options open to you as to how to use this online education program. So go to christiancourses.com. It's christiancourses.com. Well, you know it has been said, what goes around comes around. (coughs) It's a paraphrase of a biblical truth that you reap what you sow. And so tomorrow, Martin, and Elisa, and Bill will study how Jacob began to harvest some of the seeds that he planted earlier, and it began to change the way he saw God. It's a great conversation coming up Friday here on Discover the Word. Discover the Word is provided by RBC Ministries the publishers of the our daily bread devotion
0: okay that's all hi i'm back i'll be listening to part 10 of the of the discover the the word podcast of the seri- of the series jacob and jesus we'll be listening to part 10 part 10
1: Hi, I'm Brian and welcome to Discover the Word on this Friday.
0: Part 10. Catch a glimpse of God's greater plan for our lives. Stuck in the moment, it can be difficult to see what God is doing in our lives. But if we widen our perspective, we may catch a glimpse of God's greater plan. Let's look at the, at the bigger picture in the, in the life of Jacob. In the message of God was, God was building his future.
1: As we wrap up another week of studying the Bible together. And let's just say that you're going to take a trip from New York City to San Francisco because you want to see the country. Just like to experience the U.S. Well, one way you could do that is by car. You would see the small towns and the big cities. You would see the fields of wheat and corn, the mighty Mississippi River. Rocky Mountains, and view the Pacific Coast all from ground level out your car window. It'd be an awesome trip. But you could also decide to fly. It would take you a lot less time. Plus, you would see a different perspective on those towns and cities, the fields of crops, the Mississippi, the Rockies, and the Pacific Coast from 30,000 feet. You'd see things from the plane that you wouldn't see from the car, but you would see things from the car that you wouldn't see from the plane. We have a way of describing those two perspectives, those two views as it relates to studying the Bible. Learn those terms next on today's Discover the Word. And it is good to have you here. Hi, this is Emily.
0: It's working now.
1: Right now, Marty Hahn, Lisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder. Okay. The life of the Old Testament man, Jacob. Okay. And we will review his
0: life Bye. as far
1: as we've gotten into it in just a moment. And then we'll see how this perspective we talked about is an important one for us as we study the Bible. And also as we just live life. Because when you think about it, we spend most of our time in the car, making that trip across the country. We're on the ground, living life one mile at a time. But occasionally, we get a big picture glimpse at our life and how things are fitting together. That's what we're going to observe about Jacob today, that even though he probably couldn't step back and understand the big picture, the guy was working for his good very often, there may have been times that he did catch a glimpse of it, even though on the ground it seemed like things weren't going all that great sometimes. We'll discover how that's often true of our lives as well. And so what are the terms for these two perspectives? Here's Mark to tell you. You know, I Robinson, who led us for so
2: many years he used to talk about the bird's eye view of life or the mm. worm's eye view and i <laughs> we would talk about that we have so many good conversations but there's really something to it isn't mm. it mm-hmm. you have the worm's eye view of life or the bird's eye view
3: what does that bring to mind well for me i remember hearing someone talking about the tournament of roses parade You have this long, multiple-miles-long snaking parade with all these different things, and they're on Colorado Boulevard. They have these bleachers in front of the Norton Museum or whatever it is, and those people come hours and days ahead of time to sit in that spot, and then the parade goes by them kind of like one frame at a time, and all of a sudden, you know, the parade's up here and the parade's back here, and they're still sitting in that one spot. All they can see is what's in front of them, but if you get up in the blimp overhead you can see the whole parade from beginning to ending and it gives you a different perspective on the event because you're seeing it from up above all at once. yeah
2: mm-hmm. do you ever feel like that happens in your own life do you ever feel like all of a sudden you start to oh i, I start to see it the big picture
4: very rarely but yeah. occasionally you get get up above the clouds exactly and, and see the bigger picture of what god's allowing
2: yeah and all of a sudden you begin to see what's most
4: important what's mm-hmm. more important mm-hmm. than what we ever realized know down the ground and how things connect that i couldn't see when i'm in the midst of them i just see this mess of emotions unless i get up above them
2: i think that happens in the story of jacob that we're looking at now we all know jacob he ends up being the patriarch the father of the house of israel his life was quite a journey i mean talk about a circuit that he went on i mean he he starts out as a young man he's a liar he's a deceiver he's not the kind of guy that you want your kids bringing home. Certainly not the kind of man that you want your daughter to marry. Mm. But something happens. In the process of of running from home to avoid being killed by the brother that he's deceived, God reveals himself to him in a dream. and He promises to bless him. Mm. promises he's going to protect him and provide for him in the road ahead. But we know what happens then after that, don't we? For 20 years, Jacob spends his time where? Working for his father-in-law. Yeah, he goes back to his mother's relatives, to his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, And Uncle Laban takes him into the house, and Jacob ends up working for him for 20 years.
4: What else happens during that time? Well, he hopes to uh, marry one of uh, Laban's daughters, and he makes an agreement that he'll work there for him for a certain period of time, thinking he was going to get one daughter when, in fact, he gets a different sister. And on his wedding night, Mm -hmm. what happens? Not Um, very
3: fun. The old switcheroo. Yeah. Um, yeah, the daughter that's been promised is not the daughter that he ends up sleeping with on his wedding night. But because... it is, yeah, you know, the daughter that he's in love with yeah, ends he, up, what happens? He has to work another seven years forever.
4: Yeah. So he's been deceived uh, by his father in law.
2: That's the point, isn't mm, it? Yeah. Big time. Big time. Yeah. The deceiver, now he's getting what he has given. And that's not the end of it. What else happens during that 20 years? What kind of a man is this father in law? Mm. Well, he's the same kind
3: of man Jacob's Mm -hmm. been in a lot of ways. Yeah, Yeah. he's the same kind of man that Jacob has been. He's deceitful, he's dishonest, he's self-serving, he's doing all these things for his own benefit at Jacob's expense, just like Jacob had done things for his benefit at Esau's expense.
4: But it's important, too, to note that as Jacob is entering into this process, after he has this dream you talk about, he does... Seem to give God a chance. We we watched him in one of our other programs almost bargain with God, take a baby step toward trusting God. And we haven't seen this before in his life at this point. While he came from a family of faith, we haven't seen him personally responding in such a way. And he takes a baby step of opening himself to the possibility that God really will come through for him. And then he goes through this season of being deceived by his father in law, just as he had deceived his brother and his That's own really dad. Important. And what Jacob
2: is experiencing now is not only of an uncle who betrays his trust on his wedding night, but then after that, over and over again lies and misrepresents himself to Jacob. He promises he's going to change his wages. And over and over, he finds Laban is deceiving him. He's defrauding him of what he had promised. Well, what we find then in the story is that after about 20 years, Jacob realizes it's time to go home. In fact, the conflict with Laban And with laban's other children is increasing and so jacob has a conversation with his two wives now and i wonder if we could pick up and read that it's in genesis chapter 31 and verses 5 through 7.
4: elisa do you have it there i do he's speaking now to his wives okay to leah and rachel i see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me.
3: Well, that statement's really interesting, isn't it? Because all of a sudden, God's in the picture there's a bigger story that jacob's now even seeing there's a bigger story than just him and his desires and his wants and his frustrations god is doing something here and that feels very fresh for jacob it does
2: and what's happening if if you read the story step by step it's like a growing awareness and even laban we get a sense at times laban is saying jacob has god's favor Jacob's God is doing something for him, and that was part of the conflict that was growing because Jacob, all of a sudden, is prospering more than the family of Laban. Jacob's livestock, his herds, are reproducing fast. His wealth is increasing at the expense of Laban feels his own
4: flocks. The very things that he feels like he asked God for in this baby step bargaining moment, um, to be with me, that God, my father, would be with me and that he would protect me and that he would provide for me. These are the things he quotes. And I picture him, as, as Bill, you started us out, I picture him lifting his nose and his head from staring at the float in the Rose Parade right in front of him and taking a, a blimp view for just a minute on his and, life. And he's seeing it now.
2: He's saying that God's hand has been with him. And he's saying to his wives, your father would have taken everything I had, but God has protected me. So this is the question I want to ask. There's different ways of looking at the details of those 20 years. He's getting ready now. He's usually, I got to go back home. But in the meantime, something has happened. We've already said he's gotten what he gave. I mean, it's like what goes around comes around. It's like the deceit that he had given to his family has now been given to him. So the question is this,
3: is this period of Jacob's life simply a matter of getting what he deserves, like punishment or discipline, or? You know what, I think there's justice in this, but in a surprising way. Hmm. Because while Laban has been stealing from him, stealing from him, stealing from him, God's been increasing his flock. So he's gonna end up better than if he would've gotten everything Laban would've promised because God's got a bigger shovel than Laban does. So there's a sense of justice, even though Laban is dealing with him unjustly, Even as he had dealt unjustly with Esau, God is kind of more than making up and saying, I'm still here. Even though things are tough, I'm still here. Don't lose sight of that. And isn't that different than his attitude early
2: in life where he thought he had to actually defraud his brother, deceive his brother and his father in order to take care of himself. He had to steal what wasn't his in order he thought to provide for himself. But now he's finding out that even when he is being stolen from, Mm -hmm. that his well-being does not depend upon anyone other than this God who is mercifully providing for him. Mm -hmm. If everything had gone well for Jacob on those 20 years in the road in uh, Laban's house, could he have learned this much? Do we
4: learn much in life when everything is going well for us? I wish we learned well in the fat, happy times. I do too. I, I wish we did because I <laughs> like being fat and happy. But honestly, what, when I look at my life, it's those skinny times, those skinny, despairing times that have most shaped me. The, the times when we didn't have a clear income and my husband and I learned to really take incredible care of those small paychecks. for maybe our house was on the market longer than it needed to be, and we were without a home for a time. And I was like, why can't you come through for this, God? And in the moments where actually we waited for children through the oh, incredibly difficult time of adoption and infertility and wondering, God, when are you ever going to expand our family? In those times, I grew to a different kind of dependency and awareness of who God was. I began to notice the little things he would provide that I would have ignored. And
3: there may be another side of this, too, because in those skinny times when we think God's not showing up, maybe the skinny time isn't all about us. Mm. Maybe these 20 years that Jacob's spending with Laban is to give God time to do some work in Esau's heart back home. And so God's working all over the place. It would be real easy for Jacob to be discouraged and say, look at how God's let him hurt me. But like you said, Elise, it's like he's picked up his nose and he's looked and he's saying, wait a minute, the story's bigger than me. And when I see the whole story, God's not allowed him to harm me. If I was going to get what I deserved, it would have been a lot worse than this.
4: And it goes back to even Rebecca who sent Jacob off to Laban's thinking she was protecting him. And if she had not done so, of course she lost him in that moment, but if she had not to learn these lessons. The whole story is one of God's hand in spite of us and beyond us.
2: That's the big picture, isn't it? That's the big picture in Jacob's life. That's the big picture in our lives. God can do with the worst of our times what we couldn't do with the best of them.
1: All right, with today's Discover the Word, that's Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder closing out week two of our three-week look at the life of Jacob. Maybe you were nodding your head along with Elisa today when she said that our faith in God often grows most in the lean times, times when there's more month than money to cover the bills, moments when a friendship, a relationship falls apart and you don't know how to put it back together. It's in those moments where, like Jacob, we can stand back and get a bigger picture of who God is and then learn how to trust him even more. Well, it's been great to be together studying this week, and we hope you plan to meet us back here again next week. Now, we've seen how Jacob's actions have alienated much of his family. And so you can imagine that a reunion would be a tense affair for both sides. So how would God be able to bring this shattered family back together again? That's the discussion we'll have next time with Mark, Elisa, and Bill. Join us Monday on Discover the Word. Have a great weekend. Discover the Word is provided by RBC Ministries, the publishers of the Our Daily Bread Devotion.
0: Okay, that's all. Okay, I'm back. I'll be listening to part to part eleven of part eleven of Jacob and Jesus of of Discover the Word podcast. Part eleven. Part eleven. Let's let us let us lean on the promise. I mercy. say, the Bible warns us: "You weep what you sow." The Old Testament char- character Jacob planted quite a, a a few destructive seeds within his family. The result of which should, ha- should have been a a a harvest of a pain. Discover. How J- how Jacob was received? What he what he didn't dissolve an outpouring of God's grace. What
1: goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. You made your bed, now you have to lie in it. Getting your just desserts or comeuppance. Yeah, there are a number of different ways of saying it, but today I discover the word. We're going to continue our look at the life of a man in the Bible named Jacob, who seems like he's about to experience the practical life lesson of wisdom found in those sayings about consequences. Former Discover the Word group member Haddon Robinson used to say that we make decisions, and in those decisions turn around and make us. And so what do you do when the decision's been made? You've done something, and the chickens are coming home to roost. Well, enough of those sayings. I think you get the idea of what we'll be talking about on today's Discover the Word. Yeah, great to have you here at the table with us for the start of another week of studying the Bible together on Discover the Word, the weekday small group Bible study from RBC Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And this is our third and final week of a series of conversations we're having about the life of a man named Jacob that we find in the Old Testament book of Genesis, Mark DeHaan has been leading us in what I think has been a unique and helpful way of learning the story of Jacob and at the same time, seeing how it fits into the bigger story that the Bible is telling. And because of that, we're also seeing how it intersects with our stories and our lives as well. Around the table with Mark for this are Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder. And today we're going to get into this issue of consequences and where we go and what we do at those times when payment is coming due for something we've done. And all those sayings are about to become our reality. And so, what did Jacob do when they were about to become his reality? I'll sit down at the table with Mark and Elisa and Bill for this conversation about truth and consequences. I grew up with a television program, and Elisa, this is way before your
2: time.
4: Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm There's so young. A- <laughs> <laughs> called
2: truth or consequences. It was kind of a fun, silly game. Bill, you're, maybe maybe you're too young for
3: this. No, I'm not too young for it. Uh, but, but what would happen is you'd be asked questions or tested in some way, and if you got it wrong, then you had to do something stupid. It's kind of like the program uh, double Dare on Nickelodeon where if you got something wrong you'd get a bucket of paint or fear factor or or one of those things where -hmm. where no matter what you do and they engineer it where you're going to get it wrong you're not going to get it right because there's something about us that we love watching people (laughs) suffer (laughs) 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 so (laughs) so the whole entertainment value is watching this person just get humiliated on public television (laughs) the (laughs) the reason I'm talking (laughs) talking about it (laughs) is because
2: we're in the book of Genesis we've got this amazing story of a man named Jacob who just wasn't able to tell the truth as a young man it seemed like he was born to lie and there were enormous consequences woven into his story even though as we've seen god was involved all the way and at times we've wondered together was god implicated i mean it almost seems like what is god doing and what's jacob doing what's his family doing but it's uh, in terms were, of their
4: choices Yeah. Are they in line with God, or acting independent of God, right.
2: and are they pleasing God? Mm-hmm. You know, is this is God orchestrating this, and it, just all kinds of questions? But what we saw was, as a result of his life, he was estranged from his family, his father's house for twenty years. He had all kinds of experiences during that time that we could call it consequences. He was treated in ways by his father-in-law that he had treated his own family. And the day comes when it's a moment of truth. He knows it's time to go home god has his own ways of confirming that in his life and so jacob collects family and has all of his possessions and they start slowly moving 500 miles back toward home somewhere along the way jacob realizes i better give my brother whom he had defrauded a family inheritance right yeah wow 20 years before i better let my brother know i'm coming jacob had hoped during this time that his brother would cool down in the meantime but he's going to send him a message ahead and the message that comes back to him well i want us to look at that mm-hmm. bill you've got the text there don't you
3: yeah it's uh, genesis 32 and it's really three through eight jacob sends all these messengers and says to esau listen i'm coming home i've got all these herds i've got servants i just want you to know i'm coming and i hope it'll be okay is kind of the message and it says the messengers returned in verse six to jacob saying we came to your brother esau and he also is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him so jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies and he said If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company, which is left, will escape. What a moment, huh?
4: Terrifying. Very terrifying.
3: And it's a moment that Jacob realizes, okay, consequences. Mm -hmm. You know, what goes around comes around. And for Jacob right now, it's coming around.
4: Yes. In
3: the meantime,
2: though, in visions of the night, in different ways, God had been reassuring him that God was with him. Remember, as he was leaving home, running to avoid being killed by his brother, got this amazing dream and god appears to him in the dream and even though it was a vision apparently when jacob woke up he sensed it was real you know you can have dreams and you can say well, where'd that come from you know mm-hmm. wonder. but jacob felt like he was in the presence he was at the gate of the house of god this is the house of god and then in that dream that he sensed was so real god promised a blessing Promised to be with him on the the journey ahead to be his protector, his provider. And God even promised him what he had promised Abraham and Isaac before that God was going to use him, through him, bring goodness, benefit, blessing to all the families, every family of the world. And along the way, God gave him indications that he was with him. So now, Jacob, like I think so many of us realize sometimes, sometimes when you go home, or sometimes there's a way of going home, you have to finally face maybe what you've been running from for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he probably hoped for the best, but it kind of all of a sudden looks like it's going to be the worst.
4: My brother and 400 men.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a welcoming committee.
4: Or not a very good one, at least. <laughs> welcoming yeah, then, to what?
3: Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it definitely sounds threatening. It sounds like war, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. So you can see why.
4: Here's Jacob. I mean, we know he's a bright man. I mean, from the beginning he was shrewd, shrewd. That's the word. He was shrewd. And you don't blame Esau. I mean, necessarily. Esau was incredibly wrong. The injustice was well beyond words for us. And even twenty years later, I'm sure he was right. With have been thinking and brooding
3: about that for a long time. And one of the questions that you wrestle with in a story like this in the scriptures is that we have been with Jacob the last 20 years. We've been watching his journey. We've been watching what God's doing. We don't know what god's been doing back home
4: it's been quiet that's right, right. That's we don't right. know
3: what's been going on over there so no we're, just, we're just as concerned <laughs> as jacob is in a sense because we don't know what esau is bringing either because that part of the story hasn't been told to us yeah, not to us and there's no evidence that he had gotten word
2: from home during that time either so jacob is scared silly but one of the things that he does and this becomes sort of like high ground in jacob's life i mean he's lived in the valley for a long time but at least a, there's this wonderful thing that happens in Genesis. In 32.9. 32.9, yeah. What happens there?
4: Can you he just... prays. He prays. <laughs> Jacob prays. And remember, we don't see a whole lot of that at first in Jacob's life, but we begin to, through this 20-year journey he's on into Laban's territory, he prays in uh, Genesis 32, nine. Oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O oh Lord, who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid. I'm afraid he'll come and attack me, also the mothers with their children. But you've said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted could see him just wrestling between I'm scared I trust I'm scared I trust feels like real life
3: it sounds very familiar to me because we all live in the ether between those two ideas of I'm afraid I trust but I'm afraid I like that little crack in your voice Mm,
2: because what happens next after praying this wonderful prayer, he starts to arrange gifts, of livestock, in like waves. He wants, as his brother and these 400 men are coming to meet them, he wants his brother to all of a sudden find himself coming on a herd of, of oxen and then maybe a herd of donkeys. And each time he wants the brother to say to Jacob's servants who are leading these, what is this? And the servant is to say, these are gifts from Jacob. And the idea is that he's trying to somehow placate the brother. He's softening the moment. It is. So in this moment of truth, he he gets this message back. His brother's coming to 400 men. Jacob prays. He cries out to God for mercy. He says, I know I didn't deserve your kindness. I desperately need it. And then he goes about to try to placate. What's going on in his heart? What do you think? Do you think he's, is he for real? Uh, Is he a man of faith? Or is he still scheming? Is he and, still and trying it, to do it? Figured out the is Yes to both. Mm, I okay. think there's
3: elements of both in it. When we're under pressure, we default to our defining characteristics we default to what comes naturally to us and what comes naturally to him is scheming and even in this new adventure of faith that he's embraced that's still kind of his default position is to figure out okay i got to make something happen here and so i think there's elements of faith where he's really wanting to do the right thing but as you pointed out a couple of times about rebecca maybe i need to help god
4: out a little bit so, well, and, and I think, actually, there's a smartness to it, too. I mean, I do think we default to our natural, but doesn't God ask us to use all of us? Yeah. It's like a smart trust. It, it's it, like...
2: That's yeah. the hard part, isn't it? Plus, he owed his brother something. Look, he robbed him so many years before.
4: Payback. Yeah.
2: So this, here's the deal. First of all, I think we see ourselves in Jacob. I mean, this is like our life. This is what happens. And we know from how the story plays out, it wasn't Jacob that gave the ending. It was God. But as Jacob was waiting, as he did pray, what was the thing that he really latched a hold of? He promised. You promised. <laughs> he, in the middle of that prayer for mercy, he recalled what God had promised. So in the middle of all of his emotion, his fear, and everything, there was this kind of calming presence. God, you promised. You said you'd bring me back. You said you'd bring me back to my father's house, and you'd prosper me. And you said that through me, you would bless all the families of the world. That's what we need to do. When we're going through all the stuff that he wants, What has God said? What has God promised? To whatever extent we can keep that in mind,
1: that can calm us, that can prepare us for the road ahead. All right, Mark DeHaan, closing the conversation today here on Discover the Word. Mark and Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder discovering another lesson learned from the life of Jacob. Where do we go? What do we do when what goes around has come around and we're about ready to reap what we've sown? In the case of Jacob, he had planted plenty of destructive seeds within his own family, and he knew he should be reaping the consequences. But even though our sin warrants punishment, we don't always get what we deserve. We can do what Jacob did and turn to God for mercy. It's possible that instead of reaping the just consequences, we can receive undeserved grace. So where can we go? What can we do? We can go to God. Now, is this what happened to Jacob? More on how this turns out later in the week. Well, I hope you will make plans to join us back here again tomorrow as the group returns to our study of the life of Jacob. After 20 years apart, Jacob struggled to reconnect with the brother that he had cheated, and that inner battle soon became a wrestling match with God, and I mean a real wrestling match. So have you ever had your inner battles with the Lord? Take a seat alongside Mark, Lisa, and Bill as an amazing part of Jacob's story unfolds Tuesday here on Discover the Word. Discover the word is provided by RBC Ministries, the publishers of the Our Daily Bread. devotion.
0: Hi, I'm back. I'll be listening to part 12 of, part 12 of Jacob and Jesus of this, uh, Jacob and Jesus series on, on. Discover the Word podcast, chap, part twelve, part twelve.
1: Recently, discover the words. Martin Han saw some of the amazing photos sent back by the Cassini space probe, that's been orbiting around Saturn for the last nine or so years, and seeing those photos invoked an interesting response. Whenever I see these pictures, feel like I go into a
2: crisis of faith. I mean who is this guy who's that great
3: well the follow-on statement to me who is this god that's this great and why would he give a rip about me that's that's where i am. i don't know even know i'm here yeah yes
1: i mean we're just i mean we're not even minuscule yeah, find out more about why those photos caused that response in today's conversation on discover the word To discover the word on this Tuesday, great to have you here at the table with us. But today, those three members of the group you just heard, Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder, will be continuing our look at the life of the foundational Old Testament man, Jacob. And the story. Oh right,
0: yeah, Paultra managing our inner struggles with the Lord. It was the most lopsided fight in in, in human history. Did Jacob? Did Jacob actually believe? He had a chance against against the God of the universe. Let's talk about about wrestling with God. We will learn from from Jacob's example how to how to manage our own our own inner struggles with the Lord.
1: Story of his life today. We're going to see something that can help us understand this dilemma of how God can be so indescribably big and powerful at the same time, as Bill said, give a rip about me and my struggles. I think you'll be encouraged by being at the table with the group today. And remember that if you miss any programs in this three-week series on the life of Jacob and his part in the big story the whole Bible is telling, all the conversations are accessible on our discovertheword.org website. Go back and pick up or review any of the discussions or point a friend to the series at discovertheword.org. All right. Well, if you're set, let's go back and pick up Mark's description of those photos taken by the Seating Space Probe, and then we'll hear their response again. Did you by any chance
2: see the picture of Earth taken from Saturn What was so incredible was not the picture of Earth because it wasn't like one of these beautiful pictures of a big blue, Mm. you know, it was like a dot. It was like a blue dot and it's got stars. But in this picture, even though the Earth was just a dot, you could see the rings, these beautiful rings of Saturn that are a big part of the picture. Like in the foreground. Yeah, right. And then you see this dot. I don't know about you, but whenever I see these pictures, I feel like I go into a crisis
3: of faith. I mean, who is this God? who's that great well the follow-on stay with me who is this god that's this great and why would he give a rip about me that's that's where i am i don't even know
4: i'm here yeah yes i mean we're just
2: i mean we're not even minuscule yeah i mean in the presence of a god of that kind of creation of that kind of expanse.
4: and yet the scriptures say that he knows how many hairs are on our head and the thoughts before they're on our lips and he knew us in our mother's womb and you can't deny that but it's very hard to understand that god's got a
3: complexity obviously and he's a god of vastness he's also a god of intimacy theologians kind of try to balance that on the two heads of transcendence and eminence that means the lord god is near you even in your heart but yet at the same time God is so far beyond us; He's so far out of our reach. Those two ideas have to be balanced and held in tension because you can't resolve them. These are but it can be that big and that small at yeah. the same time.
4: Dimensions we don't understand. That's right. But they
2: exist. And I think, in my better moments, I realize what you're saying. He is great enough to be that small mm-hmm. to understand the world of the atom. Some scientists tell us that, you know, as far as you go into space, it's like you can go that far down into the atom, and it's just amazing. But life tells us, and the Bible tells us, God is great enough to be involved with those kinds of details in our lives. And really, that's something we're seeing now in in the story of Jacob. We've taken some time to look at his story. I feel sometimes we've barely begun to scratch the surface because there's so much here, not only about Jacob and his family, but about ourselves and, and about our God. But so far... What we've done, we've seen how Jacob had to leave home. He was estranged from his family because of the lies that he had told. He had defrauded his brother. He was estranged for 20 years. He went to live with his mother's extended family up to the north, 500 miles away, up in the region of Mesopotamia, sort of the ancestral homeland up there. And while he was there, he married actually cousins. It was a, it, we've talked about a complex story, but he ended up with two wives and a lot of kids. And the day came when he had to go back home again. Time to face up to the past, to the sins of the past, to the brother that he had defrauded. In our last conversation, we talked about the fact that on the road, uh, Jacob sent word on ahead to his brother, "I'm coming," and he got word back that his brother was coming to meet him with 400 men. Mm. Should he run or prepare? Should he trust God? He had all kinds of emotions, just as we have all kinds of emotions when we realize we have our moment of truth. We talked about the fact that he, in the middle of all that, prayed. And then we talked about the fact that he also did the whole Jacob thing of just trying to figure out what could he do to try to fix this himself. And he, he started to send gifts on, ways of gifts of livestock to his brothers so that hopefully he could calm his brother down and let his brother know that he was coming in good faith. But then in the middle of all of this, there's this mysterious moment is what it is. It is. We have another nighttime event. And it's interesting. When he was leaving home about two or three days down the road, he went to sleep, and he has this amazing dream. Well, this time, as the sun goes down, and it becomes dark, and Jacob ends up being all by himself, he gets no sleep at all. kind of know this story, but I think it would be good for us to look at it. Elisa, would you just read it? And Bill, no, let's do it this way. Why don't we divide it up? Okay. It's a little longer. Bill, so why don't you read the first few verses there, and then Elisa, pick it up. And then, then let's think about
3: what's going on here. We're talking about Genesis 32, and we're going to start with verse 22. And he, Jacob arose that night and took his two wives his two female servants and his eleven sons and crossed over (laughs) to Jabbok, a river he sent them over the brook and sent over what he had then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day, now when he the man wrestling with Jacob saw that he did not prevail against him he, the man wrestling with Jacob touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the socket of his hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him
4: And this man said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so the man said to him, what is your name? And Jacob said, Jacob. And the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And the man said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved.
2: Now, it says that out of nowhere... A man came and wrestled with him and yet there's mystery isn't there about the identity of this man
4: and i think a lot of commentators have just quickly interpreted it and we've just absorbed it swallowed yeah. the interpretations without pausing to think but just looking at, at the text here in the version i'm looking at man with a capital m and that's it we're not yeah. told anything
3: no. no we're not nothing the only thing we're told is what jacob seemed to think mm-hmm. jacob seems to have an idea who he thinks this man is because he says i've seen god face to face
2: yeah
3: and well, he has said a prophet calls it an angel of the lord yeah so
2: it's called a man the prophet tells us it's an angel of the lord or a messenger of the lord and jacob ends up being convinced that it's been god so the question who is it
3: jacob thought that it was god which is why he gave the place the name that he did uh, uh-huh. much like when he encountered the stairway with the angels coming up and down he gave it a name that referenced god bethel house of god Peniel i have seen the face of god and lived so he's connecting both of these events to his god right. but now here's the deal even if there's god in some form
2: i mean how could it be god if it almost sounds like in this case jacob was wrestling with somebody who could not overcome jacob remember and uh, god certainly could have right yeah an angel of the lord i mean anybody the lord's servant could overcome him but what's going on here
3: but isn't it true that all of us wrestle with god and for all of us, it's like when my sons were little and we would wrestle on the floor and I would say, okay, I'll wrestle you with one arm tied behind my back. I mean, in that kind of the way God wrestles with us, he doesn't bring the full force of who he is. Otherwise, you know, we'd be consumed in this universe that God is bigger than. <laughs> yeah. We'd be dust. Mm-hmm. First time when Jacob was leaving, running from home, he has
2: this dream, where is God in that vision? standing high above this staircase right this ladder god is in the heavens above this place in some form whether it's the form of a man a form of an angel whatever it is it appears that god has actually humbled himself lowered himself Mm -hmm. to the point like as you indicated bill it's like a father who's just gently wrestling with his children it's like he's willing to come down to jacob's level to keep him preoccupied in the night of his fears and to leave him at the end convinced that God has been with him that we have seen God face to face now what would the effect of that be
4: the other thing is exactly that is that Jacob has been struggling with his brother for 20 years Mm. he's been struggling with his mother with his dad with his birthright he's been struggling with the consequences of what he did he's been coming to grips with who he is but as God as you suggest comes down bends low Jacob is able to struggle with God Mm. the true struggle and, and in that moment, God allows him to touch him, to reach him, and to realize the struggles that he's been focusing on, sending stuff ahead to uh, appease his brother. That's not the real yes, struggle.
2: God, right, exactly. God has made himself the issue in Jacob's life. And now that Jacob's focus is on this form that he eventually concludes is God. Now, one of the things we've said is that all the Bible really has helped to tell the story of Jesus. So when you ask the question, could God really become a man? We eventually get the answer. He does. We eventually get the answer in a real man, who is all man, but all God. In a man who had his own sleepless night, but it was a different kind
4: of sleepless (sighs) night. A man who struggled with God, but it was a different kind of struggle. We're seeing God bend so low that Jacob can actually access his struggle. God bent low so that Jacob struggled with God, but in the New Testament, in the end of the story, we actually see God bending so low that Jesus takes on the struggle himself, and his struggle really becomes the solution for our struggle
3: in these two events in Jacob's life the ladder and the wrestling match we see both of those things that theologians talk about in the ladder we see the transcendence of God Mm. and that he's higher and that he's greater and he's above but when he comes into the dirt to be with Jacob we see the imminence of God and we see both of those in the man who became the greater promise that was fulfilled
1: Transcendence and Imminence A couple of terms that I hope you have a better understanding of now As we see them in Jacob, in Jesus And also how they relate to us You're listening to Discover the Word with Mark DeHaan, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder And can you relate to this chapter of Jacob's story? You know, have there been moments in your life when You feel like you're arm-wrestling with the Almighty? You know, God has the power to simply pin us to the mat And strong-arm us into submission but as we see in the life of Jacob, God graciously chooses to bend down, to bend low, and struggle with us in the details of our life. Great perspectives today to balance in our relationship with God, transcendence and immanence. Well, we are beginning to wrap up this series on a section of the life of Jacob. It's been a helpful and challenging study about how God transformed this liar and deceiver and con artist into a man of faith. And remember, if you've missed any of the conversations in this series, You can go online to our website, which is at discovertheword.org, and you can listen to any of our past or present broadcasts from this series or any that we've done. There's no cost or obligation to do so. Just head over to our website and listen at discovertheword.org. Well, you know, names stick with us, don't they? Many of us still carry the labels or nicknames, the reputations of our past around with us. And so have you ever felt like you'd like a fresh start? You'd like a new name? Well, tomorrow, Mark and Elisa and Bill will pick up the story of Jacob as God graciously gives Jacob a new identity. Another encouraging study Wednesday on Discover the Word. We'll See you then. Discover the Word is provided by RBC Ministries, the publishers of the Our Daily Bread Devotion.
0: Hi, I'm back. I'll be listening to part thirteen, part thirteen of of the series Jacob and Jesus uh, on the Discover the Word podcast. Chapter thir- part thirteen, part thirteen. Discover who God chooses to be to be part of His family. The more the more we we discover who the who, who the who the old Testament character of Jacob was, the more we may wonder why why God would ever whatever would want to be to be associated with, with with such a person, let alone have a have a relationship with him. We are getting to know to know the God. Of
1: Jacob. It's not a common thing, but it happens that people change their name. Marion Morrison, for example, changed his name to John Wayne. Cassius Clay changed his name to Muhammad Ali. Samuel Clements changed his name to Mark Twain. And a more recent example, singer Katherine Hudson changed her name to Katy Perry. And so it happens. It's interesting, it happens in the Bible quite a few times where someone's name is changed Abraham, Sarah, Paul, Peter. Well, this is actually pretty long. Today, I discover the word. Be part of the group as we look at one of the incidents in the Bible where a name was changed. We'll learn about the circumstances surrounding Jacob's name change and what his name was changed to. Discover the word with us next. Good to have you here as part of the Discover the Word small group Bible study again today. On the table waiting for you are the three friends you study with each day at this time, Marty Hahn, Lisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder. And right now, Marty is leading a series of conversations about the key Old Testament figure, Jacob. And I think it's been fascinating not to only get more familiar with the story of Jacob, but also to see how he is part of the larger story that the Bible is telling As we come down toward the end of this three-week study, just remember that if you've missed any conversations along the way, you can go to our discovertheword.org website and catch up. And you can also refer friends to this study, and they can hear the entire thing there at discovertheword.org. Okay, well, today we come to the part of Jacob's life where his name is changed. And actually, as Mark will point out as we explore this together, there are two name changes here. So important discoveries lie ahead during today's conversation. Or I discover the word.
2: Let's listen. Isn't it interesting that in our lifetime, I remember when if we needed to do research, we would go to the library. Yeah, remember that? Sure. Now we just get the computer out, go to the web. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just Google it. Right. Yeah. The other day I was thinking about famous name changes, and so I went to the web. I got the most interesting site of all kinds of athletes and entertainers and politicians,
3: people who changed their name. A lot of people have changed
2: their name down through history, haven't they? Any person come
3: to mind? Well, I remember how surprised I was as a boy of 12 when I found out that <laughs> Ringo Starr had a different name, that it was actually Richard Starkey. That uh, that was Ringo's real name, and I, and I just thought, how odd that somebody would change his name. Now, Ringo like, Starr of the Beatles, right? Of, of the Beatles, Another yes, era. Another era, but now we see it happen a lot with athletes. Uh, basketball player Ron Artest, Changed his name to Meta World Peace, which <laughs> uh, is unusual <laughs> to say. say the least.
4: Sometimes people change their names to fit in better. Like I think of sometimes Native Americans in our culture would change their names from something like Running with the Deer to John. <laughs> I've also known people who've changed their names to change their past. I don't want to be known as being Michael John McIntyre because that guy had a record, and so now I'm Michael John Mack, kind of a thing. Or, you know what, my sister actually changed her name when she was growing up. She had a nickname, and she claimed it as her total name. And then after she was divorced, she put that new nickname with her old last name as her official name. It, you know, we do this mm. sometimes as an identity shaper.
2: There are all kinds of different reasons, aren't there? Yeah. I mentioned this because we've been looking at the story of Jacob, who had a name change. We've talked about the events in his life leading up to that time, how he had started out as a person who was appeared to be a born liar, born deceiver. In fact, Jacob means, as we've looked at, heel grabber or supplanter, somebody who wrongly or illegally takes the place of another and hangs on to it. So he starts out with that awful name. That's a good reason to change it all by
3: itself. Yeah, it's yeah.
2: not the best name in the world. But, but he kept it for a long time, and he himself didn't try to change it, did he? I mean, no. the story makes it clear that basically that name ended up being prophetic. I mean, that's what he became in his own family.
4: Right, he took over the firstborn role Yeah. when he was, in fact, the secondborn. Twins, but still, nevertheless, he and, took the birthright of the older. Yeah, and he robbed to get it. He lied to get she it. did. Yeah. Cut
2: in line. Had to leave home to avoid being killed by the brother that he had robbed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that he cheated. It was very descriptive. Spent 20 years estranged from his family, living with his mother's relatives uh, 500 miles to the north. During that time, we've seen that what he had done to others was now done to him. His father-in-law was a liar. His father-in-law betrayed him in, in many different ways. But then the day came, and it was time for Jacob to go home. And so he, with his wives, and he now had many children, with his servants, with all of his livestock, slowly making their way back home. And sends word to his brother, Esau. Esau, I'm coming home. He gets word back. What was the word that he got back? Yeah, Esau's coming, and he's bringing 400 guys with him. To meet yeah, To welcome meet you. Home.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. welcome.
2: What, what, what a reunion this is going to yeah. be. Well, oh, Jacob is scared out of his wits to beside mm. himself. In fact, the night comes when uh, the sun sets, and Jacob is all by himself, and he has a sleepless night. Let's just read again the text that describes what happened in the
4: middle of that sleepless night. Alyssa, do you have it there? I do. This is Genesis 32, verses 24 through 30. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now when this man saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as the man wrestled with him. And the man said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So the man said to him, what is your name? Jacob said, Jacob. And the man said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And the man said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed Jacob there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. That's the moment of the name change it's quite a moment isn't it yeah it's a moment of great struggle yeah. and it's a very kind of crazy moment too Here is his hip being touched and ah, oh there's mm, all kinds of weird yeah but one of the most <laughs> amazing things is what we talked about in our last conversation
2: whoever this man was jacob ended up in the morning being convinced that he'd been in the presence of god right he's had an he'd interaction been struggling with god whether it was the messenger an angel from the lord or some god was there he was convinced of that he was in the middle of the struggle, or as the morning was about to dawn, the conversation changes, doesn't it? The man says, let me go now, for the sun's about to come up. Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Well, then the man asks him a question. What was the question? What is your name? What is your name? And Jacob answered, Said Jacob, why do you think he asked him his name? Did he didn't, didn't know I mean, God didn't know his name.
3: I think it may be as simple as the fact that for this transaction to happen, all the cards have to be on the table. So he asks so that the transaction can take place. And when the cards are out there on the table, what are the cards? The first card is Jacob, and the second card is Israel. And that's the transition that this mysterious wrestler is bringing Jacob through. This is who you have been. This is who you now are in a society, and a culture, where we wrestle so much with identity mm-hmm. and identity theft. This had to have been a little mysterious and a little unsettling for Jacob because his whole identity is wrapped up in the name and the many ways he's fulfilled it. And now he's a different person with a different name. And what's that going to look like?
4: It's a crossroads, too, of mm. his journey and his purpose in life. I, you know, We foreshadow and flip to Saul of Tarsus becoming Paul. And and we think about other name changes with Simon and Peter. But in this moment, it's as if God, in the form of this man, angel, whatever, is... Bringing Jacob to a crossroad where it's about who he was in the past, but also about God's purpose for who he will call him to be in the future Mm -hmm. and how he will establish a people through him. It's a completion of a promise, too, that I will make your descendants as many as the sand upon the sea, and that will be Israel. And that will bring a line of people
3: and while you're looking forward i'm kind of looking back there's so many of these repeated ideas in jacob's story this is now the second time he has struggled to get a blessing the first time was in the struggle to deceive his father to steal esau's blessing and now is the time where he is in the presence of god in some way pleading for a blessing from god but there's still conflict involved both times yeah In that sense, do you see any promise in this? Elisa,
2: you've described the promise of the future. What about this moment? He's scared to death. His brother's coming with 400 men. And there must be a sense of promise when the Lord says, you have struggled with both men and with God. You prevail there's that sense of okay this meeting with your brother that you're afraid of there could be a calming effect to it
4: i think so and we've been thinking about what is this word israel mean and you know commentators say it means a prince of god or you know we've talked about other things but more commonly, I think we're agreeing that it means struggling with God, or one who strives with God, or just God striving, you know, all these different, and that's what, Bill, as you just pointed out, that's what Jacob does, is he struggles. He's a struggle. He's a str- a struggle
2: right? But here's the question, mm-hmm. how can you struggle with God and prevail? How in the world could God say, or this angel, this whoever, how could Jacob struggle with God and prevail?
3: Well. We struggle with God and prevail. When ultimately His purposes are accomplished, that's when victory happens. It's not when we get our way. It's when we get His way. Yeah. And in the middle, He shows us mercy. Right. Yeah. Right. The
4: way. Yeah. And what's beautiful is He invites us to participate in His purposes. He doesn't have to do that. No. He could just go bibbity bobbity boo, bam, you that's know, right. and do His thing. But He invites the struggle. In fact, he creates the struggle, allows the struggle, fosters the struggle, and embraces the struggle, and bends low to provide solutions in the struggle. And as you're saying, it's not us winning. It's when he wins that his purposes are achieved, and we get to participate in that. Wow.
2: And you know what I find so interesting here? Going forward, Jacob has a new name. It's a new day. It's a new day because of God's kindness, because God's purposes, as you pointed out, are now going to be fulfilled. But what I find so amazing is that while Jacob's name is changed and Jacob will begin to fall to the background, God also has used Jacob to change His own name. At least 25 times in the Bible, God is known as the God of Jacob, not just the God of Israel, the God of Jacob. And I think one reason we've talked about it before is because God wants to be known as the God of people like Jacob, and
1: people like us. We're at the table with Mark DeHaan and Lisa Morgan and Bill Crowder, and this is Discover the Word. So what is your struggle today? Are you battling health issues? Are you wrestling with financial problems, fighting to keep your marriage together? Maybe there's an inner war that's raging in your heart and mind. Well, I don't know for sure what your struggle is. I just know that we all have them, and I do know that we don't have to fight them alone. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and yes, the God of a guy like Jacob, is ready to be your God as well. After they finished today, I was listening to the group talk, and uh, did you know that the way you walk is just as unique as your fingerprints? Seriously, fingerprints, DNA, the way you walk, all reliable ways of identifying you. And so for most of his life, Jacob has had his distinct way of walking. But after his wrestling match struggle with God, his gait is completely changed. Find out how and why. This is an important development. We'll join Mark, and Elisa and Bill for another study in the life of Jacob. I'll say beside the table Thursday. You're on discover the word. Discover the word is provided by RBC Ministries, the publishers of the Our Daily Bread devotion.
0: That's all for now. Hi, I'm back. I'll be listening to part 14 of part 14 of, uh, uh, of this of this series of the series Jacob and Jesus on on Discover the Word podcast chap port part 14 part 14 continuing our series on Jacob. And discovering how how how, how God is for us, ever ever felt like you and the Lord were going toe to 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 toe over an issue in your life, let let us study genesis chapter thirty two and, and and Jacob's wrestling match with God we will we will discover. That God is not is not against us' is not against us but whether but, but He's for for us:
1: Today I discover the word, be part of the group as we talk about something each struggle we go through in life leaves us with. Every relationship fracture that we experience leaves us with a little bit of a limp. Every health crisis we face, whether our own or that of a loved one, leaves us with a limp. Every moral struggle and failure when we do or say things that we shouldn't leaves us with a memory and a limp. Every struggle leaves a little bit more of a limp in our gait as we go through life. But today's Discover the Word conversation has a new way for us to look at that limp, whether it's physical or emotional. Discover what that new way is today on Discover the Word. time to get the group back together for our thursday visit for this week on discover the word great to have you here at the table with us and we are coming down toward the end of our three-week study of the life of the old testament man jacob this has been a fascinating series martin has been leading us through and today Mart and lisa morgan and bill crowder are going to focus on the significance of something mentioned in the account of jacob's life in genesis chapter 32 something that was a lasting reminder of a struggle Jacob had with God, a limp that came out of that struggle. I'm going to take a few moments to review some of the high points of our discovering the word together in relation to the story, and then they'll share with us that memorable insight about the value of a limp. And so let's jump right into the study section of our time together today. The conversation begins with an interesting observation and fact about how unique and recognizable the way we walk is mark have you ever noticed that you can tell people you can identify
2: them by their walk if you don't even see their face but you see them walking away and you say i know who that is Mm -hmm. and and then you find yourself saying how do i know that's who it is a, uh, there's a distinctive gait of pace.
4: Actually, I've noticed that with my husband, uh, he may not meet, appreciate me saying this, but he had a back injury, and then he had back surgery, and he carries himself very differently post surgery. He's doing great. You know, he's completely agile, but his walk has changed. I can tell it's him when I see him down at a long airport concourse or something coming towards him. I find sometimes when I'm watching golf on television, the players will be walking along. There's just something about it. You watch them over time and you really... Phil Mickelson
2: has a certain way he walks.
4: And even when other characteristics are taken away, I'm thinking about my grandson now on the football field because he's all covered up in all this equipment, you know, so I can't see his face, I can't make out the rest of him or even his name or number sometimes, but when he runs with his little head down (laughs) and his little arms straight out to the side like no one else, I know that's him.
3: Yeah, it's an interesting idea that i would never really thought about before because when you think about different ways to identify people, that doesn't come to mind. You know, you think you identify people by DNA, or you identify people by their dental records, or certainly by fingerprints or voice prints. Walk didn't just jump to the top of the list for Uh me, but that really does have some weight, doesn't it? What's interesting is that I was reading recently a science
2: news article where they say that for security reasons, or one of the implications could be for, like, airport security, they've actually done extensive research on the way people walk and they're saying that they believe that the day is going to come when within a couple of paces they'll be able to identify a person because what they've done is they've scientifically measured and mapped the pressure points within a person's step and they say it's almost like your fingerprints there's this unique identity or configuration Mm -hmm. to each one of us in our walk
3: it feels a little bit like big brothers watching you yeah, he does
2: <laughs> well the reason we're, we're talking about this as you know is that in the story of jacob that we've been looking at for some time now jacob ends up with a distinctive walk i don't know if there's any relationship i'm guessing that there might be but remember when he comes into the world
4: when he is born he is born mm-hmm. being called a heel grabber by grabbing the heel of his twin brother of his twin brother as as he, comes is first, born, he, is, he is
2: seen observed grabbing the heel of his slightly older twin and we, we spent some time in one of our conversations saying you know where else in the bible is heel mentioned where else prior to this is there any precedent for this and we went all the way back to the garden we went back to that moment following adam and eve's decision to eat of the tree that they weren't supposed to eat of, and then because of satan's presence and involvement and all of that god turns to satan he makes this statement because of what you've done i'm going to put conflict between you and the woman between your descendants and her descendant and you will strike his heel but he will crush your head i mean i'm not quoting it exactly but it's it's about a heel Mm -hmm. and what we talked about is what's so amazing is that when jacob is born jacob actually takes on the characteristics of satan he becomes a deceiver he becomes a defrauder And this one, who is the deceiver and defrauder, ends up, as we've seen so far, becoming actually the father of the nation of Israel, the father, the patriarch of the chosen people. Well, there's this crisis in his life. He's been estranged from home because of his lies, because he's been a deceiver. Now, 20 years later, he's coming back home again, and we've talked about this moment of truth. He realizes he's going to have to see his brother. He's gonna have to face the one that he's defrauded, that he's robbed of family inheritance, He hears that his brother is coming to meet him with 400 men. little unsettling here. Mm -hmm. Jacob's beside himself, and he has a sleepless night. Let's look again at that sleepless Mm -hmm. night and then see how it leads to this
3: issue of the limp. It's uh, Genesis 32. I'll start off in verse 24 and 25, and then you guys can pick up if you want. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, the man touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the socket of his hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him.
2: The man said, let me go for the day breaks. But he, Jacob, said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. And so the man said to him,
4: what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And the man said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And the man blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as Jacob crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, that's the river, and he limped on his hip. He limped, limped on, his, on hip. his hip.
3: Have you ever had a limp? I have had a limp. I've had a limp too, and what I remember about times when I had sports injuries and it would cause me to limp is that it doesn't just affect that joint or that leg. It ultimately affects all of you. It reorganizes your mm-hmm. your physiology. The whole rest of your body is having to compensate for that limp.
4: It also reorients your identity, to go from a person who's whole quote able-bodied to someone compromised in some way. When I was in college, I I broke my ankle. I'm so coordinated, I was standing on ice skates and I broke my ankle. Just let's not go there. Anyway, (laughs) I I had a cast from my toe to my hip and it was clear something was wrong with me when you saw me coming on my crutches with this whole leg cast. But when the cast was removed and I had to learn to walk again, I walked with a limp and I would catch people staring at me Mm -hmm. and, evaluating and coming to conclusions and i felt for a a short time the kind of evaluation a person with a, a limp a permanent limp might feel so i could feel a reorienting of my identity during that season i wonder how this being touched in his hip and walking with a limp affected jacob or excuse me israel going forward you're
2: right and that's the identity issue isn't it it's a new day from god's point of view a new man because a change of name implies a change of person a change of character what's this thing that happens though how does he get the limp he's been struggling with in some form god this man is represents the presence of god and what does the man do
3: well the man as they're wrestling the man it seems dislocates the hip and by dislocating the hip what he has done is he has taken jacob who up to this point has been fatally flawed psychologically emotionally spiritually but whole physically and now we've seen him moving forward spiritually and emotionally but now he's flawed physically so he's exchanging strength for strength and weakness for weakness in some way
4: and perhaps he's changing his identity from being a heel grapper, jacob one focused on that part of the anatomy, but which was really supplanting or cutting in line, changing, defrauding his brother's status. He's changing Jacob's identity from that to now being struggler with God, Israel. It's as if that the heel thing is going away. Yeah, and how does God make it go away? By actually touching his hip. Mm-hmm.
2: But in that moment, the God who had lowered himself, who had humbled himself to struggle with to wrestle with jacob during that night now has some way of letting jacob know it says he just touched the inner part of his thigh and it dislocated his hip so in that moment jacob must have known he didn't have to wrestle with me all night long yeah he could have done this at the beginning Mm -hmm. and he could have dislocated my shoulder it's god in his grace and his willingness to come down to us and to struggle in jacob's
3: life that i think that limp will help Jacob remember for the rest of his life. There's a sense, I think, that the heel-grabbing symbolized the first part of Jacob's life where his struggles were with people. And now we come to the real issue, and that is, okay, what are you going to do with God? And the rest of his life is marked out by he's the guy who wrestles with God.
4: And in verse 28 that we just read, we see exactly that. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with Mm. God and with men and have prevailed that's beautiful
2: you have mm-hmm. prevailed by God's mercy mm-hmm. by the mercy of a God who was willing to just bend that low into his life now one of the things I think we can reflect on and just say if God was willing to bow that humble himself to the point of, of getting involved in the mess that Jacob had made for himself what does that say about our relationship with God would he
4: ever do the same for us he has done the same for us <laughs> every day
3: every day um, and maybe with all the things we've seen negatively about jacob that we all identify with and have throughout this discussion there's this one great thing the thing that we have in common with jacob most of all is that we have this kind of god who is willing to wrestle with us and allow us to wrestle with him and and
2: sometimes we have no idea that we are actually wrestling with god because it may appear to be a man or a woman or a circumstance yeah but in reality What this story is helping us to realize is now the real struggle is with our God, who, if we only could know, has lowered himself this much to let us know he's with us. In his
1: mercy, he's with us for the rest of the way. Yeah, that is a different way of looking at those struggles that we all have in life, isn't it? We can look at our limps that way as reminders that, god has promised to be with us for the rest of the way well today's conversation was about the results of a wrestling match between a stubborn man and a merciful god and you're listening to discover the word leading discussion mark dehan with elisa morgan and bill crowder okay so jacob versus god that sounds like it has to be one of the most lopsided fights in history but haven't we all had times in life where we've struggled with god times we've dug in our heels and we've put up our fists And as Mark said, sometimes we mistakenly fight with God, not realizing that he's not against us, but he's for us. As we're discovering that is part of having faith in God in those times of struggle to trust in God's goodness and his love. Well, thanks for joining us here at the table today. And be sure to join Mark and Elisa and Bill tomorrow as we wrap up our series on this part of the life of Jacob. Considering what we know about this man Isn't it amazing that God would identify himself as the God of Jacob? Well, discover why. God chooses to identify with people who are people like us. That's Friday. Discover the Word, we'll see you then. Discover the Word is provided by RBC Ministries, the publishers of the Our Daily Bread devotional.
0: Okay, that's all. Hi, I'm back. I'll be listening to part fifteen of the of the Jacob and Jesus Jacob and Jesus series on on Discover the Word podcast, chapter fifteen, the last one.
1: Did you know that recently, for fourteen straight years in the U.S., that Jacob? was the most popular name for parents to choose for a baby boy. Jacob first rose to number one in 1999. And only last year wasn't seated at number one by the name Noah. And Jacob still hung in there at number three last year. Isn't that interesting? Because for the last few weeks on Discover the Word, we've been studying together a portion of the life of the Old Testament man named Jacob. And not everything we've discovered about him has been positive. I mean, he was a liar and a schemer and a thief.
0: Part fifteen: Discover how how our lives fit into into God into God's grand unfolding plan. It's part of of our nature to narrow our focus onto ourselves. But if we take a a step back, we will be able to see what God is is doing on a wider scale. Let's let's complete our study on the life of Jacob.
1: And so how does the name Jacob have such a positive legacy that people are still naming their kids after it? Some of that is what we'll discover on today's Discover the Word. Welcome to Discover the Word, the weekday small group Bible study from RBC Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I'm Brian Henning. I'm glad you've made time in your Friday. We'll be part of the conversation that will conclude our three-week series that has looked at a part of the life of the Old Testament patriarch, Jacob. Remember that our Discover the Word Facebook page is a place where you might want to share some of your impressions of what you've learned in this study. Click on the Facebook link on our discovertheword.org website or just type Discover the Word into the search box next time you're checking your Facebook page. Now, as I said, we've discovered that Jacob had some struggles. I mean, he was nowhere near perfect. But that struggle is maybe one of the most important lessons we can learn about a relationship with God from the life of Jacob. So around the table to wrap up this study are the three friends you've had with you for the entire series, Marty Hahn, Lisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder. As we talk about the legacy Jacob leaves and the positive way that his reunion with his estranged brother Esau closes this chapter of his life, we also want to talk about how God has, in a sense, redeemed the name of this man who had so many struggles with so many things. Mark? Well, this is going to be the last of our conversations on Jacob
2: for a while. We've spent some time with it. It's a good story. Yeah. And I've, been, I've appreciated so much what both of you have added to my understanding of it. In the process, Alisa, you were saying recently that there's there's something you regret.
4: I do. I I regret a little bit that we've dissed the name Jacob kind of strongly. I mean, we had good reason. The name Jacob, which means heel grabber, and therefore we think... You know, someone who's a schemer and, and deceitful. That name is very popular today. I know a lot of little Jacobs and little Jakes, and I sure would not say they're little schemers. In fact, Bill, as you said, I know a lot of other people who are schemers who are not named to Jacob. <laughs> so I, I just want to go back and look at that and realize that God himself refers to himself as the God of Jacob. He includes that in his own name. And, and I really believe that there is a way in which he's redeemed that name. And, and we certainly have as well. And so I just wanted to honor that and bring that forward.
2: Uh, I think that's important. And you're right. The name of Jacob has been redeemed by the God of Jacob. Mm-hmm. So, but let's, uh, in thinking in terms of the legacy of this man, Let's move to conclusion, at least to conclude that part of the story that we've been talking about, as you've indicated. Born into the world, born to lie. That's what it seemed like. He had to run from home to avoid being killed by his brother. spent the next 20 years estranged from his family, being deceived and defrauded Mm. by the man that would end up being his father-in-law. then the time comes for him to come back home and Jacob realized that circumstances had changed the relationship with his father-in-law had become problematic and God even had a way too of letting Jacob know it's time to go home but that means a moment of truth that means if he goes home he's gonna have to face up to the brother that he defrauded that he deceived and as we've talked about he's scared to death because when he sends word back home, letting his brother know he's coming with his family and his livestock and everything that he's accumulated in the last 20 years, he gets word back. Yeah. He saw his coming to meet you with 400 men.
3: Yeah. He's
2: yeah. beside himself. Yeah. He starts to scheme. He starts to figure out, what can I do to try to please my brother, to try to calm him down?
3: He and starts he, Jacobing.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> and then he has this sleepless night in which he wrestles with. And we, the amazing thing is, God lowers himself, we find out. To literally struggle with Jacob, to get Jacob's mind off his brother and to put his mind on God. And Jacob ends up clinging to God and actually being blessed by God. But now we're ready for the conclusion, at least of this chapter of Jacob's life. Let's look at the scripture and and read that. It's found by Lisa. Do you have it there? It's in Genesis
4: 33, 1 through 11. And I think let's share this reading. Do you want to, Mark? Sure now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked and there Esau was coming and with him were 400 men so he divided the children among Leah Rachel and the two maidservants and he put the maidservants and their children in front Leah and her children behind and Rachel and Joseph last then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept and he Esau,
2: lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said who are these with you and so jacob said the children whom god has graciously given your servant and then the maidservants came near they and their children bowed down and leah also came near with her children and they bowed down afterward joseph and rachel came near and they bowed
3: down then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I have met? And he said, These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand, inasmuch as I have seen your face, as though I had seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. Please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. And so Jacob urged him and Esau took him. Wow. This is quite an ending to a chapter, isn't it? Yeah.
2: What are you seeing there in this reunion?
4: Well, I want to be clear he's not handing over all of his family because it's a little bit unclear where we picked it up. He sent ahead goods and livestock and such, and that's what he's trying to give as a softening Mm -hmm. of the wounds of the past, as an appeasement, and Esau, that's the blessing, and Esau then takes it.
3: Yes, he had planned, he had tried to send all of his (laughs) gifts ahead to calm Esau. But in the big story of Jacob's life, you have the blessing stealer who now knows what it means to be blessed, and his first desire is to want to be a blessing to someone else.
4: Beautiful. This yeah. generosity. Yeah.
3: It seems out of character for Jacob, but again, he's not Jacob anymore in that sense. He's Israel now. Yeah. And through his wrestling with God, maybe he's learned a little bit about what's important and what isn't.
4: How God gives and how God holds back as he touched him in the hip. He also revealed himself and blessed Jacob, forming him into Israel. And he has been caring for him and providing for him
2: and preserving and protecting him. And now he's given him what Jacob wasn't sure he was going to get. He's gotten a reunion mm. and there are tears and there are hugs. It's the exact
3: opposite of what he was afraid might happen. Well, and it just shows how God, even as he redeemed the name Jacob, how God has been able through these extraordinary circumstances to redeem this relationship. And it really forecasts what's going to happen with the little boy Joseph that's mentioned here, who years and years later will have a similar reunion with his brothers who harmed him. God's ability and God's passion to fix broken things. It's just extraordinary. And this story, I think, just screams that oh, it out. Is, it's full of these themes, of these mm. ideas, of these events that
4: end up being repeated time after time mm. in the Bible, in the story mm. that unfolds. Mm. The generational mm. struggle. Mm. And the generational blessing, both of those things together, I mean, you see it from Abram all the way forward. And, and as you're saying, we'll see it in what happens in Joseph's life, you know, as we continue reading this long story. But I love how you're pointing out that the brokenness that becomes the blessing itself.
3: And that brokenness for Jacob, we saw, is going to be something he tangibly carries with him the rest of his life in this malfunctioning hip. That got dislocated when he wrestled with God. His brokenness is never going to be an abstract idea from this point forward. It's very concrete.
4: This whole name Israel, which means in some way the whole experience of struggling with God and that God struggles with us and we struggle with him. I'm struck by how when we struggle with God, we actually accomplish his purposes. I mean, somebody was pulled back from thinking, I shouldn't struggle with God. Um, I should just lay down and let him have his way, so to speak, whereas Jacob wrestled. And this ongoing naming and this ongoing legacy, giving permission, to the struggle giving permission that that struggle is part of the vitality of our faith of do i believe will you complete what you've promised ongoing wondering this it welcomes me it's like a welcome mat in front of the whole relationship with god thing saying come on in come on in and struggle because in the struggle comes the accomplishment of god's purposes
3: and it's kind of a foreign concept to the way we view the walk of faith here in America. We kind of have this perspective in American Christianity, however you want to define that, that there's this kind of super wonderful, fabulous man, it not it great all the time, every second, and the person who's struggling, well, they're obviously out of God's will, when in reality, the whole story of relationship with God in the Bible is one that, by definition, it must be a struggle.
4: Well, it's like if we don't struggle, we're missing something. I'm struck by this last line we just read in verse 11 here of, of Genesis 33 where Jacob now Israel says please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because what I have what enough and so he urged him and Esau took it he had enough where did he get enough where did he get enough in the wrestling he got it in the wrestling he got it in the struggle and I love that we think well I don't have enough it's because I don't have enough faith it's all up to me but it's the struggle that produces the enough
3: and also we are looking at this in this wrestling metaphor. But when Jacob looks back on it, he says, God's still graciously with me yeah. mm-hmm. What we see is wrestling. God sees his grace. Now look at the other wrestler, Esau. What do we learn from him in this reunion? God's been working back home while he's been working in the tents of Laban. How do we know that? Because his heart has changed. He no longer has come to kill his brother but to welcome him he's not come to take from his brother they almost have a wrestling match over you've got to take this blessing no i don't want it no you've got
4: to take it but look at verse 9 in verse 9 when they first meet before jacob says i have enough esau says i have enough my brother Mm. keep what you have for yourself so they have both been wrestling and in their struggle they've both been given enough so that when they come together they're celebrating the enoughness of the struggle
2: so we have a, a story that the legacy is wonderful and you're right it's and i think god wants us to think of this as a legacy of struggle of god's willingness to struggle with us in order to bless us and what was true of jacob ended up being true of the nation of the descendants that followed. They too were known as a nation that struggled with God. But out of that is born the one who explains the blessing that God made to Abram in the beginning. In you, through you, I will become a blessing. I will bless every family of the world. God's ability to bless is not limited to a Jacob or to his individual
1: family. God is able to be the answer for all of us. And with that final thought, we conclude our series on this important part of the life of Jacob. With today's Discover the Word, that's Mark Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder. And while we can relate to Jacob in so many ways, can't we? This has been a great study, not only looking at a remarkable character from Scripture, but also stepping back to see God's bigger picture unfolding within this story. Now, I would imagine that it's possible that you've missed a conversation or two in the last three weeks. You can fill in those gaps when you visit our website at discovertheword.org. We post the audio of all of our series there on our website. So listen in and maybe pass these conversations on to someone who could benefit from them. Send them to discovertheword.org. Well, thanks for pulling up a seat at the table today. I'm Brian Henning, inviting you back on Monday as a dear and familiar friend joins us once again for a couple special weeks of Bible study. We're welcoming back Alice Matthews to talk about Proverbs 31. And a rather unique way of looking at this passage of scripture. So set aside time to join Alice Matthews with Mark Dehan and Elisa Morgan Monday here on Discover the Word. Discover the Word is provided by RBC Ministries, the publishers of the Our Daily Bread Devotion.
0: Okay, that's all.